This episode of Rob is a Podcast is sponsored by our friends over at DC Universe. That's the first all DC platform for DC fans where you can watch, read, shop, and even connect with other fans. It's home of DC original series like Titans, Doom Patrol, Swamp Thing, and coming soon, Harley Quinn featuring Kaylee Cuoco. Thousands of new comics have just been added to their comic library, including more complete storylines and more recent titles like Batman 2011, Superman Secret Origin, and Harley Quinn. 2013. They've got new animated films like Reign of the Superman and Justice League versus Fatal Five. Catch up on series including Krypton Season 1 and find tons of classic movies like Batman, Batman Returns and Superman. DC Universe is available on your favorite devices and some of your not favorite devices too, I bet. Join today and get a year's worth of content at DCUniverse.com. Hey everybody, what's going on? Rob Sisternino getting you ready for our episode 9 exit interview and recap of The Amazing Race. Uh, many of the fans know that I am on vacation this week, even though uh, we've had a lot of podcasts coming out, but I am unable to uh, be with you for this exit interview and recap, but we've got a really great show planned for you today. Up first, Taryn Armstrong is going to have the exit interview with the most recently eliminated team, and then Mike Bloom and special guest Dan Heaton are going to bring you the recap. Jessica Lease is on vacation with her family as well. This week, we'll all be back together next week for the episode number 10 recap. So without further ado, let me throw it to Taryn. Armstrong, who has this week's Amazing Race exit interview. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Rob Has a Podcast exit interview for The Amazing Race. I am your host, Taryn Armstrong, filling in for Rob Sesternino as he is in Hawaii right now. I, I want to be in Hawaii right now, but huh, Rob is, so I'm here. I'm here. Uh, and I'm very happy to be here to talk to the latest eliminated team from The Amazing Race. Unfortunately, it is Chris and Brett. They have had a rough leg here in Croatia, going from first place to being eliminated from the race, uh, despite having a lead with the flight times uh, arriving in Croatia, the the detour that they chose, which was washed in from the ocean, ended up being a very difficult one, apparently, and cost them a tremendous amount of time, and ultimately they are the ones eliminated from this leg of the race. So let's, let's get talking to Chris and Brett about their experience here on the show. Hey guys, what's up? Hey Rob, what's up? It's uh, it's Taryn, unfortunately. Wait a minute, what? Yes. I am a, this is unacceptable. I am a Robert the Podcast icon. I will not accept a Taryn Armstrong interview. When I should be talking to Rob as a podcast, my exit interview on The Amazing Race. This is absolutely unacceptable. I'm yes. appalled, Brett. I'm appalled. <laughs> I'm very hurt. No, I'm just kidding, Taryn. Well, uh, yes, Rob, Rob, he really wanted to disrespect you, so he sent me in his place. Uh, uh, he's I in, he's called out. Isn't yes, this he, because I missed the live know-it-alls in Philly. That's what it is. It's retaliation. It's it's exactly right. that. Rob, Rob is having his own adventure in in Hawaii right now, so uh, I am here to fill well, in. 
Karen, his life, buddy. And I've done it. I've done it. I had a great time on our interview together years ago when you did a deep dive into my life. So let's do it. Let's do it. Me and Chris are here for you. All right, bud? Yes. I'm excited to talk to you guys. Also sad to be talking to you guys uh, because this was a this was a rough leg here uh, in Croatia for you. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so what what happened here uh, on this detour where you you chose washed in from the ocean and you had to find the uh, the five coins and the goblet and it seemingly took hours. Do you know how long you were looking for those things? It had to have been over three hours, I, I would yeah. think. I mean, we were hours ahead of everybody. I mean, you talk about colossal meltdowns. Uh, pretty pretty big one. Yeah, I mean, you guys you guys arrived in Croatia. You were in first place uh, and you had a massive lead. You know, we don't usually get these, uh, you know, these flight times uh, in the modern day seasons of Amazing Race as much as you did in the earlier ones. Um, but it's all... I, I always like them. Uh, and it's usually when a team comes in in a later flight, uh, it's going to be very difficult for them to catch up. But this detour seemed nearly impossible. Was there something that like went wrong here or like what, what was happening? Well, I mean, we found, we found lots of metal. It just didn't have to be coins. They were batteries and cans. And all I found a, I found a spark plug to a 1965 Mustang. <laughs> well, you yeah. were, you're, you're uh, doubling, uh, to clean up the oceans. This was uh, the secondary yeah, task. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. We found, well, and, we, and then we got stuck in the idea that all we needed was just two more coins. Mm. Just two more. And right. that that ended up uh, being fatal. Uh, by the time we finally switched back again, it was it was almost too late. So Yeah, I think that's what, that was the major fatal flaw is when you have, when you're almost there, we had three coins and the chalice as like the, uh, the cup, you know, the holy grail. It, it was like if we just we just need two like we're gonna go I think because we found them so early we're like we're gonna go memorize a poem and all we need is two more coins it's gonna be a somewhat I was like if what if every team decided to do this there has to be enough coins here for every team and we're the only yeah. ones here so it's like they should be plentiful you know but uh, for some reason they just weren't there huh oh we went all over that place looking for them. just like Rob Sassino's not here the coins were not there <laughs> <laughs> and maybe the coins are in Hawaii Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe. maybe Rob took them. Yeah, they yeah. weren't in Croatia. <laughs> uh, so you guys were the last survivor team standing, uh, and now Victor and Nicole are the only non-Amazing Race team left. Uh, do you feel like the Amazing Race teams are maybe better equipped because of their prior experience? Well, you know, def- definitely the experience. You can't undermine it. It actually, it, it matters. The experience matters. But at the end of the day, I won't make any excuse. They, did, they didn't make those poor decisions Brett and I did. And we right. actually we actually should have, if we just went to the poem first and understood how to do it, we would have walked to first place. <laughs> I mean, right. so, you know, uh, but experience matters, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think you guys should beat yourself up too much because when I was watching and you guys decided to switch the first time, I was like, no, don't do it. There's only two coins left. And usually I'm, I'm the guy that's like, oh, switch, switch. But it really, I, I fell into the same trap that you guys did just watching the episode uh, because it seemed like you were so close. Yeah, and, 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 and here's the real sad part. I blew through the last one. 
which I didn't even know. Like, we did it in probably three times. And I, we, I, Chris and I were like, oh, great, okay, we're out of here. We're still bummed out. It wasn't until the race was over, and they're like, how did you do that with the Legionnaires so quickly? <laughs> he's talking, go, he's talking about what? the roadblock. He's talking yes. about the roadblock at the end, yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about the roadblock. So that would that even killed us even more because, like, if, uh, all we had to do was get through that foolish road. We just had to get through that, and then we were going to sail to the end. It was like, ah, oh, it just sucks. Yeah. Was there was there any advantage you found to have been uh, to have done Survivor before? I mean, I think Chris will agree with this and he can say whatever he wants after. But I, I would just say the social aspect of it. Like we, we really had most with the exception of the O'Reilly's. We had most teams on our side. They really liked us. Um, we had personal bonds with a lot of people. But as far as the race goes itself, because, you know, the only time that comes into play is for a youth turn. Uh, but as far as the race, no. I mean, it's its own animal. You know, I mean, like like the race is the show. You know, where you go and what you do is the show. You know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think. I mean, you always you always hear the words adaptable on Survivor, and you do have to be adaptable on the race because of all the crazy stuff that's thrown at you. But yeah, I think that where we excelled was the social aspect because we were able to stay on the good graces of those race teams, and no one was. They could have easily put pitted us against the O'Reillys at the end there and uh, at the at the vote, and they didn't. And I think it's because we had good relationships with people. Now, I've heard that the Amazing Race can be a grueling experience, but uh, what, what what was it like in comparison to being on Survivor? And there's just two different animals. I mean, Survivor like is it's extremely difficult in the fact that you're you are starving and it's physical and all that. But it's it's a different kind. It's a slow grind on Survivor, whereas race is like I mean the speed is boom, it is right off the bat, it is go, 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 go. And you know, there's some long days and the sleep is kinda crazy and so they're both very challenging and in their own ways harder than the other. It's it's kind of a crazy deal. Yeah, the race is frantic, man. Like, like even though, yeah, you get a roof over your head, you get to eat, um, it's like, you know, the race is on. They're, like, asking you questions, like, hey, what the, what's going on? And it's like, get that camera out of my face. I'm trying to get this done. And then on Survivor, it's like, hey, Brett, we're going to talk to you in a couple minutes. Okay, let me let me get out of the ocean, and I'll, I'll get ready and think about what I want to say. Like, it's just two different animals, you know? Um, but, again, like, but on Survivor, you're not eating. You're mentally drained. And, and so, I, I don't know, you know? But they're both equally hard and they're both totally different yeah yeah you you mentioned the the relationships we saw a lot of drama happen in the race especially in the last couple of legs uh did you get caught up in any of it did you did you see what was happening with with all of that drama sure yeah we saw a lot of it we were we were firsthand uh watching uh the riley's go after nick and vic on the mat in the the first leg of switzerland you know that was pretty crazy extremely uncomfortable it was very uncomfortable and then of course course the vote came you know the the next round and or and lord we were right in the middle of that because we we pulled the last place and we were basically the decision makers on who got you turned at the end so yeah and let me say and let me just say you know i've been here and and, and we have no we have no problem right so let's uh we we made a tv show it was wonderful and everything but um, in no way did, did you know our decision be impacted by the fact that they cut us off during the leg. Like that didn't even factor. It was I think it was more what happened on the mat and and how we didn't really have a relationship with them the whole time, right, Chris? 
Well, that and plus they gave us the best shot to for us to advance in that leg. If we you turn them, we essentially they're gonna. There's no way they're gonna beat Colin and Christie. Which yeah, means, that's true. And there's no way they're gonna beat us, even if we screw up. So it solidified us almost a hundred percent chance of of making it through that leg without uh, being eliminated. So. It fit within that, and then it just fit within the call it emotion, call it whatever. It, it was a two way. It, it worked both ways, strategy and the way we felt at the time. I'm curious about how you guys uh, viewed the different teams left in the race here. Uh, it seemed like people were a little bit afraid of Colin and Christie. Obviously, they were also chosen to uh, to get the U turn there. Uh, was that is that a right read that people maybe respected them, but also kind of feared them in the race? Yeah, I don't know if the if the words fear but they certainly if you weren't you know up to this point in the race if you're racing and you don't understand that Colin and Christie are probably the strongest if not close to the strongest team then you just start paying attention that's for sure um, they right. they have they jive they 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 just work well together they're strong but they also you know they they won't even hesitate to help you in a in a in a race you know, they won't help, they won't hesitate to do i don't know i guess the right thing which is no, unusual they, in reality tv yeah everyone's like oh you know this guy with the with the ox you know my ox just broke like i we did i did not know i don't know that colin i don't even i, I could i have to go back and watch the season because i don't even know i can't even imagine that he actually exists um you know these these people are just wonderful people and they had the power of zen on their side and i'm telling you right now um yeah i if you didn't, if you didn't sense the fact that they were a, they were a power to try, you know, they they were unbelievable racers, unbelievable, and and you'd be completely in in you know not paying attention if you didn't realize that, you know. What about the Afghanimals? Because they were not always very helpful on the race, at least from what we've seen uh, on the show. Um, what were your thoughts on them? I think, uh, yeah, go ahead. We, go ahead. Lo- we, we love the Afghanimals. I saw, you know, we saw that they were, you know, they would play jokes and everything, but, you know, it was almost like they just have so much fun and they're just so funny about the bad things they do that you can't help. But for us, we just loved them. I mean, Leo is about as funny a guy as you're ever going to be. And Jamal just kind of, they work well together, but yeah. definitely a dangerous team. We could, if, even when they were kind of slumping a little bit, it, it was almost as if they meant the slump. You know, that's how good, that's how good you perceive them to be is like, I think they're slumping on purpose, you know, uh, which that might, that's probably not true, but it's just the perception that they give off is that these guys don't even have to try and they're going to uh, finish, you know, ahead of you. Yeah, and and they're and and, and they they do complement each other well. Chris, Chris, is, you know, Jamal's a little more reserved, a little quieter, maybe a little more uh, cunning. And uh, but I mean, the guy he's a complete hero. Like the guy, um, he, you know, he's a veteran. He's, um, he's he's done a lot of things in life. He's a great guy. I I really respect him. And 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 Leo is just like infectiously friendly. Like he's just like I can. He would be in the airport talking to total strangers and in, in, in crazy countries. And women would like let him hold their babies. I mean, he's just, yeah, he just pick up their babies and walk around with their babies. He, and you're like, what? He can, he can just talk to anyone. He's one of the most sweetest guys you'll ever meet. 
Um, literally, uh, first you're like, he's talking to you and you're like, what's with this guy? What's, what angle is he playing? And then once you go, wait a minute, he's just a good dude. And uh, I love Leo. I love Jamal. We we had a good connection with them. And, um, and I love that scene when Jamal says, all right, let me ask you this. Are you going to turn the O'Reilly's or are you going to turn Team Fun? And Leo doesn't even mean Team Bro Man. You mean Team Bro Man? I'm sorry. Team Bro Man. doesn't even know our name. I'm talking too fast. I'm talking too fast. So, you know, he's like, are you going to, you know, turn the O'Reilly's? You're gonna you turn uh, team bromance and 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 without even missing a beat. Leo's like, oh, okay, I'm going to do the O'Reilly's. And, and, you know, that was, we had a great connection with them and just a lot of teams, you know? So, um, yeah, but they're great guys. I really, really enjoyed them. All right. Well, I have to ask about uh, the, the lighted up challenge, I believe it was, the dancing. <laughs> <laughs> this conversation's over. That's, get him off the thing. Get, get the thing well, back here. Well, I have to say this. When we were pre-planning for the race and we were talking about what challenges we would both be good at my friend Brett LaBelle said and I quote if it has anything to do with dancing or singing I'm your guy so let me let you know a secret Chris Hammond is not known as a good dancer actually I can't even clap to a beat but I I am like Michael Jackson compared to Brett LaBelle he is terrible. And then we get to, and by the way, he is the, I guess, the official mascot singer of Rob Has a Podcast, uh, Know It Alls. He sings all the time. We would uh, you still know be, damn well what I do. And we go would, on. Uh, listen to me. We would still be at, in Vietnam singing that song had they just not had the mercy rule on us. <laughs> All right, first of all, Taryn, I'm getting complete, in here. All right, let me, failure. Yeah, okay, all right. So, listen, first of all, I have never claimed to be, This is Chris's, Chris's little head. Because he's like, hey, we got dancers. Because I sing the Rob as a podcast theme, right? I like to sing. I like to do karaoke. Chris is like, oh, this is your wheelhouse. This is your wheelhouse. Now, that being said, I never said I was a dancer. I've never claimed to be a dancer. I can do the Macarena, and I can do one of, some of those things. That's about it. <laughs> the Macarena? So can my listen, seven-year-old. Can you hear me? Uh, this is my turn, Chris. You had your turn. It's my turn to talk. When, if you guys go and rewind it, go back to the episode, because I know Rob and the podcast listeners are extremely diligent, and they're going to do this. Go back and look at the top when we're coming down the, the, the little doctor's uh, the medicine doctor steers, and Chris goes, well, I guess we're dancing, and off we go. So he made that decision. He wanted to dance. He dan- it was dancing in his mind, and off we went. And I will say this. I, although I am a singer, and I claim to be a, a good karaoke singer and a good singer of the Robert's podcast, know-it-all theme, uh, I don't speak Vietnamese, okay? So I cannot do karaoke to a Vietnamese song when I don't speak the language. Thank you very much. Well, let me, let me tell you something. What they cut out when we were making the decision whether we were going to dance or go fishing, um, Brett basically gave me a speech that I would I would compare it to Kevin Bacon's speech to the city council <laughs> in Footloose. And he was like, from the oldest of times, we dance. We dance to celebrate. We dance to mourn and I was like okay buddy we're going and they cut that they cut that out but it was it was just like the Kevin Bacon speech in Footloose uh, good to know. That's crazy. That's completely insane. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have. 
Uh, but thank you guys so much for uh, for talking with me. Are you kidding me, Taryn? Rob would have gone into a deep dive with us. I, I, you tell Rob. Rob. I would love to do it. Look, I have I have lots more questions, but I only have so much time. Hey, you, well, this you, is this is unacceptable. This is unacceptable. Rob, you know, he owes us a phone call and at least an hour interview, or we're never we're never listening again. Yes, this yeah, is, this is the I'm beginning of the I'm sick. Of, I'm, I'm going to be like Randy Bailey. I'm not doing the phone call show anymore. <laughs> Done with that crap. I want to be top bidding. You know what I mean? Sounds yeah, good. I agree. <laughs> Sounds good. I agree. All right. Thanks guys so much. All right. <laughs> So there you go. That was Chris and Brett from The Amazing Race. I think we have unfortunately started a feud with Rob as a podcast and the great uh, Chris and Brett. That will be interesting to follow as we go along. We'll have to see if uh, if the hour-long podcast that I've promised them via Rob will will come into fruition. But uh, they, were, they were a lot of fun to talk to. I do wish that I had more time with them. But that's what I've got for you. Thank you so much for, for hearing for hearing me. I hope you were not as disappointed with me being on this interview as Chris and Brett were, but uh, I had a lot of fun. I hope you did as well. So thank you for uh, for joining me on this one and I will see you next time. All right. Special thanks again to Taryn Armstrong once again, picking up the slack for me on the Amazing Race exit interview. Before I throw it to uh, Mike and Dan, we do have uh, one other piece of business to attend to, and I want to uh, thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast, and those are our friends over at OpenFit. OpenFit, very important to anybody who's going on the amazing race, because getting fit and staying healthy always sounds easier said than done, right? Well, OpenFit is going to bring you something new that makes it even easier to never miss a sweat session, lose the commute to the gym, and let the workouts come to you like I like to do in the garage getting ready for my vacation. Open Fit takes all the complexity out of losing weight and getting fit. It's a brand new, super simple streaming service that allows you to work out from the comfort of your living room or the garage in as little as 10 minutes a day. Look, everybody's body is different. Open Fit gets that. That's why they've personalized it to your needs with a custom-tailored set of original content. You can try it for free. All you have to do is text the word ROB to 303030. You're going to get a 30-day free trial membership to OpenFit. You can check out the amazing trainers and not amazing race, amazing trainers and classes. OpenFit has classes that are led by some of the most effective and engaging trainers in the world. It's super simple. Forget all the complexity and stress around getting fit. Just press play and workout on your schedule. You can access it anytime, anywhere with results that you can see. So go ahead and give it a try. OpenFit has changed the way that I work out. And with my code, Rob, you can join me on a fitness journey personalized just for you. Again, use my code, Rob, and start using OpenFit for your journey to a healthier life. No Hit stop there. You're it's a journey right now during the Open Fit 30 Day Challenge. My listeners get a special extended 30 day free trial membership to Open Fit where you could lose 15 pounds in 30 days. When you text the word Rob to 303030, you'll get full access to Open Fit. All the workouts and nutritional information totally free. Again, just text Rob to 303030. Standard message and data rates may apply. 
And with that, let's throw it to Mike and Dan for the recap of episode nine of The Amazing Race. And I'll be uh, back with you to talk about next week's episode with Mike and Jess. All right, everybody. After an interview with, I guess, the new podcast frenemies of Team Bromance, Chris and Brett, let's go Asia to Croatia and talk about everything that happened with those that team and all the teams around them for this leg of The Amazing Race. As I mentioned before, Jess and Rob are out this week, but I'm very happy to bring this guy in. The last time you heard him talking Amazing Race was not too long ago for you, but to Jess and I, it was a year ago that the three of us got together to do our time capsule draft of the teams on this season of The Amazing Race. I'm so happy to bring him back. He is one half of the Amazing Race Canada representation here on Rob, has a podcast, and an expert in all things Amazing Race, the great Dan Heaton. Dan, how are you? I am great. First, I do want to apologize to Brett that I am not Rob, and I hope he doesn't hate the fact that Rob is not here for his recap of their departure, because I'm just going to add to the list of people that Brett doesn't like now because Rob's not there. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that we're sort of, I don't know if we're strikes two and three, or if he's sort of like, okay, I cast an entire aspersion towards Rob has a podcast if Rob is not there in full. Uh, So I guess we're expecting a four-hour deep dive with the two of them. (laughs) Though they struggle to do some dives in this episode. So we'll see how deep they go in this one. Yeah, it was a rough episode for Brett and Chris, and I was feeling so good. They looked they looked so happy. They were so confident. And as the as the episode went on, unfortunately, it just kind of slipped out of their fingers. And um, I was sad to see because, you know, as a survivor guy, too. I was really pulling for them. I enjoyed their story so far. Yeah, the torch has officially been extinguished on the survivor teams with the elimination of Brett and Chris. We still have Nicole and Victor to hold down the big brother perspective, but we are left with four amazing race teams and one big brother team left in the final five. Cue the Davon pretends to be shocked gift, but I'm sure we'll get into the end game looking forward. Before we get into anything with Croatia and this leg, Dan, I want to backtrack a bit because Again, the last time we talked to you was before this grand experiment of season 31 had begun. And we gave our thoughts as to what we thought about the theme and the cast in general. Now that we have gone through the lion's share of the season, what have your thoughts been so far? Well, let's make you the Roman senator here from the roadblock. Give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down on Amazing Race 31 so far. You know, I will say overall, I would give it, you know, I would have my thumb going sideways and then slowly move it up because <laughs> so dramatic, would, yeah, just like at the end with the last two teams. But I, um, I love this cast. This is something Jess said earlier where she talked about that she did not expect it, but she would love if they did something like this again. And I think the strongest part of this, it's almost like if you think about it, if they just came back and did, like instead of this, if they had done a straight Amazing Race All-Stars, which we've seen before, I think they always tend to struggle to find 11 teams that fit all the different molds, but that are also interesting and that mix together well. And somehow by doing this with Big Brother and with Survivor, You found it where they got four superstar Amazing Race teams, but they filled it in with all these other entertaining teams. And what has turned out, I mean, even Rupert in his two episodes was hilarious. And I I still think back to him being like, my spirit animal is the elephant and all that. And that was episode two. So the fact of the matter is that. The casting, they did such a good job. I don't feel like there were any duds. And even 
a team that might not, we might have seen as much like your Janelle and Brittany, it wasn't their fault. It was just that they had so many teams that they wanted to show. The only thing, if I had to say a quibble, this episode notwithstanding, and you guys have brought this up on the show, I feel like certain legs, the tasks have been kind of lame. And I don't mean across the board, but I feel like some of it has been kind of obvious. And what has made the show work is the fact that even when they do some tasks that aren't as exciting, and it hasn't been every leg, but so like the double leg was a bit light, or the double episode was kind of like this, but the teams are good enough and interesting enough where I don't sit there and go, I never think it's painful. I just think, well, this isn't the most thrilling thing I've ever seen, but these teams are having fun or there's something interesting going on or somebody's making a dumb mistake. So I feel like it really reminds us that when you have good characters and a good cast and you have enough, because like I said, with this week, with Vietnam, with a few others, they've had really good, some really good legs. And I think though we're in store for a great final three legs, given the teams that are left too, mm. which I feel like is they really also lucked out with no offense to any team that's been eliminated. I think they've lucked out with who's left. I think this is going to be a really strong finish. Yeah, I loved this episode. This actually might be from like a leg design perspective specifically might be my favorite episode of the season. And I'm super excited to have you on, Dan, as well as someone who knows a lot about Amazing Race history, because I know this has been echoed a lot online. But the design behind this leg in particular is very reminiscent of like old to middle school eras of Amazing Race, where we're seeing airport drama, where teams book their own flights. We're seeing intensely difficult tasks, both sides of the detour. You could even argue the roadblock. We're seeing a lot of cultural immersion. You know, we've only been to Croatia once before and back during season 12, it was basically a lot of navigate around these forts and less so about let's see the beach. Let's see little hidey holes that the monks are in that you deliver bread to. We, we saw so much about Croatia in this episode and there was a lot of jostling around positions as well, even though we had some stratifications with flights it all basically got jumbled up due to, you know, unfortunately, Chris and Brett's uh, number of mistakes. So I just thought there was so much great stuff in this episode. Uh, you know, I think we were wondering last week, Rachel and Alyssa, like them or hate them, were such big magnets for airtime and drama when it came to this season. What would a season look like without them? To your point, if this is what it looks like, I'm happy for three more legs of this because this really felt reminiscent of the amazing race that I fell in love with. Totally agreed. I think I really lucked out in the episode to come talk about because what I appreciated too, though, is we had the airport drama, which we have not seen really I, all season. We had the other things, but it also wasn't like if you think back to those really early seasons where sometimes the airport stuff would take up half the episode. That wasn't the case here. I feel like it bal everything balanced out really well. I know some people have talked about the ending being a little abrupt, but the reason that was the case is because the episode had so many cool things in it. They didn't have to make it like, who's going to go first? Let's do this for five minutes. It was a. I agree with you. I was thinking about it. I'm like, I think this is the strongest episode of the season. Part of it is the leg design. Part of it is the teams, plus things you can't control like Chris and Brett struggling or the airport, the delay in their flight or Colin and Christy losing the gnome. So many things just went right where those kind of unintentional things made it even a better episode than it might have been. All right, well, let's get into this episode because we start by the teams finding out that they are going to Croatia. It has been a hot, hot second since we've been there. The only the second time in Amazing Race U.S. history. And 
as we mentioned before, something that us Amazing Race diehard fans really look forward to, the teams are going to book their own flights to get there. Now, again, there's a little bit of a separation where the first two teams, Brett and Chris and uh, Tyler and Corey, are on the first train. They already dubbed their destination Bro Asia, uh, and so they get up on the first flight, whereas the other four teams have a little bit of a kerfuffle as to find out how to get there. But talk to me a little bit, Dan, from your perspective. We won't go full Amazing Race 101 here, but talk to me about what you know in terms of, you know, the Amazing Race's history when it comes to booking flights on your own versus having flights booked for you. Well, yeah, and I think for people that are newer to the show, and I don't just mean newer this season, like anything recent, it was a major part of the early seasons. Like you would have legs, like especially like there was one in season three where basically 25 minutes of it was was the flights or something. And because part of it was they were trying to show the skill of the teams who like Colin and Christie in season five were masters at finding flights that yeah. were really good. And they would, they would go. And again, I think some of the reason they haven't done as much one is time and they want to get to things sooner, but also the evolution of airport security. And also the show used to let teams just keep booking flights. Like this was something that was very common for a majority of the shows run where teams would book a flight, then they'd find a better flight then find a better flight. So I think part Part of it, the change has also been budget, where the show has decided, they did decide, at least according to what I read, that teams could only book one flight. So once they had it, this is fairly recent, this change. And I think, too, the show has evolved more from a travel you know, travel show with task. A lot of it used to be early on. Some of it was just like, even with things like fast forwards and whatnot, you would just have to show up somewhere. Yeah. Run, or, I remember a yeah. memorable one from season three was a run around a fountain like five times for a fast forward. <laughs> Get into a hotel pool was one. Of oh, right. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> with Danny and Oswald. So yeah, so that it wasn't as much about the task. And I think the show has evolved where it's almost like, like any series, they've ever, it's like yada, yada, yada. Okay, they got on the plane. That was kind of fun. Now let's spend time doing tasks or let's spend time doing something goofy with weird outfits or something. It's changed. And some of that I don't always appreciate, but because I feel like they stretch out tasks that don't need to be 20 minutes. But this like showed an example of it can be done right. There's a balance. And that's what I really appreciated this time is, you know, we don't want him to go back to season two or three or four, but finding time, especially when it's a short flight like this, I think this was a perfect time to do it. Yeah. A couple notes on that. First, I cannot say enough how much Colin and Christy owned the flight booking game to a point where I think we talked about this on the podcast before. There's one leg. The very first time they went from Egypt uh, from Russia to Egypt, where Colin and Christy were able to navigate the flight system so well that between that and getting a fast forward early on, I believe they checked in around 24 hours before the team behind them, which is ridiculous, even by old school Amazing Race standards. That just shows how fantastic they are. I think, unfortunately, just due to the placement that they were in and the last leg, I don't know if they can necessarily flex those muscles this time around, considering they did not necessarily get a, a better flight than some of their compatriots. In fact, they were on the last flight uh, getting into Croatia. It's so interesting that you bring up the credit card thing. I guess CBS was tired of them, like uh, giving a credit card a la Kevin McAllister to like this. These teams <laughs> and say like, yeah, you know what? Spend all you want to buy all these, you know, uh, hundreds of dollars flights. Why not? Uh, just so we can, you know, get some good TV. I, I, they need to feed their families. 
Yeah. And I wonder too, just like I mentioned with the airports too, it's just like the idea of these teams just kind of running around the airport, scrambling to try and get flights and all that. I don't know if that totally fits with the modern way that airports are run. And even if that's even possible with how things work and even airlines don't do as many flights. And, and they also had some experiences where because for a variety of reasons, like in the all-star season, this came up season 11 where they just had a disaster where teams like were stuck in airports for days and it, they, the legs got all messed up. So I think they kind of got to a point where they thought this is might be more trouble than it's worth. And also why don't we decide to make this simple on ourselves and just book everybody tickets on one flight or something? Yeah. I think the last major airline situation I remember was actually from the Afghanimals first season, season 23, where there was one poor team of NBA players who had been doing pretty well. I believe they finished actually first in the second leg in the third leg, just something happened with flights and Phil had to actually go to the airport to eliminate them. I don't think they actually got out of the country of origin from their, uh, the start of the leg, by the time that everyone finished, it just got that ridiculous. So I could see that also sort of being a come to amazing race Jesus moment for the producers to say, OK, maybe we should put a little bit of a leash on these things to make sure it's not too dragged out. That being said, so the top two teams end up getting on a flight uh, there. These are all flights through Germany, I guess, is a nice little key connector here uh, between Switzerland and Croatia. So the guys get on a flight that gets them in at 1120 a.m., all the other teams uh, struggle. They, you know, it turns out that that flight is booked. And Leo and Jamal, particularly Leo, try a last ditch effort with the airline <laughs> agents to, uh, to to get a last minute seat on that flight. Let's listen to Leo's argument here. I will name my daughter after you and my and my wife after you. I won't get married until I find someone named you. Yeah, this this is something, you know, Leo really needs that extra hour. Apparently. Now, I'm curious what the name was, though. Is it how common is this name? Is it a name that's more common in Switzerland mm. than Leo might have to travel to Switzerland then to um, to find his wife? Apparently, yeah, Dan, to I, think, get this time. I think we found out how the reboot of How I Met Your Mother is going to go with this edition. <laughs> I, I am intrigued as well. I also like Leo's thinking here because I feel like he was trying to be season 23 Mac Daddy Leo by saying like, hey, I'll marry you if you, you know, put me on the flight. And then he said, no, I mean, I will marry a person who has the same name as you. So I'm glad he's taking a few steps back from maybe the thirstier Leo we might have seen some time ago. <laughs> he always had that voice in the back of his head like, don't be that guy. Don't do that again. <laughs> yeah, not, not Please the don't. airport. <laughs> Jamal's got a code word like, no, Leo. No, 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 no. I, I'm Mr. Serious now. We yeah. don't do this. Listen, if they We're had a code word, uh, they did not use it later on when it came to the poem. So maybe <laughs> it would have worked in airlines, but not uh, on rafts. So it turns out that the next alternative flight uh, gets them in at 1225, at least in the moment, through Hamburg. Dan, let's talk about line cut gate here, because this is something that I really do love about The Amazing Race, and I miss the drama, because The Amazing Race has a way to, when it comes to drama involved with the show, create a lot of TV out of, like, Seinfeld-esque minutiae, whether it's like, oh, you bumped me at the clue box, you purposely stood in the doorway to not let me get on the plane, and here it's, oh, you cut me in line. It's just these small gestures that lead to big moments where people are stressed out and trying to get to a location as quick as possible. What would you say about the way that all this went down between Team Fun and Nicole and Victor? 
See, I compare this to like being at a grocery store and there's like multiple lines and I'm, I'm there behind the people and going like, okay, which one is the best one? Mm. Okay. I'm going to slide over here. Oh, they opened a new window. I'm going over here. And that's kind of the way I look at it. Really. I mean, I understand team fun knew what they were doing. So I don't believe that they were like naive enough to think, oh, we're just in this line. I mean, you saw the looks on their face and the show, of course, zoomed in to make sure that if team <laughs> fun made any weird look on their face, they would show it. But really, in terms of all the things that have happened in the history of the show, this is very minor. To me, I think this is something that you do when you're trying to get ahead. I don't feel like it violated any unwritten rule. This wasn't canceling someone else's cab Mm. or something, you know, like extreme like that. So while I think it was smart and I think it was intentional, even Victor was kind of just like, yeah, well, we kind of got in the wrong line. I understand Nicole's frustration, but... I don't think it's I think the show really, like you mentioned, mind a lot of drama out of a five minute thing. <laughs> yeah. So I guess to sort of re-explain, I guess I'm sort of now the like Victor and Nicole play by play expert between last week and this week. <laughs> it's the hand I've been dealt. Just my luck. So basically what happened here is Nicole and Victor were standing behind the Afghanimals who were meeting with their airline agents slash new wives, apparently. And uh, I think Nicole and Victor had sort of operated under this mentality of, OK, there's one line. So whenever an agent opens up, because Colin and Chrissy were at another one, I'm going to go to them and get the tickets. Team Fun, I don't think, had that notion. They sort of sidled up next to them. And even when Nicole sort of muttered something passive aggressive of like, Oh, I'm I'm next in line and cue, you know, straight haired Becca, who's totally savage, rolling her eyes in response to that. To your point, when another airline agent opens up, that's not the one that Victor and Nicole are, you know, in front of Team Fun just goes over there automatically. And this wouldn't be a big deal, except for the fact that Team Fun apparently got the last tickets on that 1225 flight. And so Victor and Nicole feel like they're pretty screwed. Chrissy even calls it the kiss of death. Cue unfortunately some whining from nicole to your point i sympathize with her i understand the situation especially if you're running on killer fatigue and it feels like this could be a race ender at the same time it did seem like it was something that she couldn't necessarily let go saying my heart is breaking is a little over the top it feels like it could be something in a poem that you memorize while being flung from a raft but when the break is over they're able to get on standby on another flight so i guess all is good there yeah, I mean, I think it was because you think like they the, the legs started around four or five p.m. And then they all went, you know, there and it was the next morning when they left. But I didn't get the impression. It seemed more like this was great. This was a great drama to show in a clip. It was also great for a commercial break. And they did seem nervous. But personally, I was I did not think this is the end for them. I figured because I've seen the show long enough. I don't know if you thought that I was like, something's going to work out. Well, I didn't think it would work out as well as it did. I also don't think of this as some sort of weird karma because it was a, like you said, there appeared to be two people that were already buying tickets and then they happened to leave. And all of a sudden team funders were standing in the right place, which worked out. But um, like, like we saw, they got on standby and it worked out amazingly for them. Yeah. So this is another uh, hallmark of the, salad days of the amazing race where they would book their own flights another game that you can play is okay i have a flight booked at 12 25 i hear there's an 11 30 flight that's full let me see if i can get onto standby and if i happen to luck out then i can get an earlier flight and here that's what happens when nicole and victor i mean i would say it'd be safe to say they'd be screwed if they didn't get on that flight but again 
God knows how long Chris and Brett were there that maybe Nicole and Victor would even be able to pass them, but they're able to, you know, through the luck of the draw, even though some bad luck went in Victor's way, everything got balanced back out when they ended up on this 1130 flight and ended up, you know, third place looking down the barrel of first and second. You know, what was interesting is I looked up today that, um, Zurich to split is only an hour and 40 minute nonstop flight, but every, that must've all been full because everybody took a flight to somewhere else and then to there, maybe it was just those were faster overall, but I looked it up. I'm like, I wonder how far these really are. And they're not that far apart. So it was just kind of one of those things where I suspect given that they were booking them on the fly, they probably didn't have as many openings as we saw with the limited tickets as you might see normally. Mm. All right, so let's move away from this airport drama for now, and let's get to Croatia. i got to say, this is one advantage of, I know they filmed in the summer last year, and it's it's fun that uh, this happened, this season happens to air during the summer as well, because this gave me a lot of, you know, summer vibes here, Dan, especially when we went to the beach, and the very first task is to serve drinks to a bunch of beachgoers. Yeah, I mean, I don't I was excited by it. And, um, you know, Brett was ready to just hang out on the beach and have some drinks and everything. This is one of those things where it was a task, I guess. Like, you know, Phil, of course, tried to sell it and be like, the drinks will be filled to the brim completely and made it seem like it might actually be hard. But I think it was just a fun way to show people hanging out. And I wanted to know about that inflatable thing in the middle of the water too that looked kind of fun and they kept cutting to that so it was it was a pretty happen in place yeah i would say even if you know nicole did have her worst nightmares come true and spill everything all over before going to the people i'm sure they would pick up their prop empty glasses and still pretend to cheers and drink out of them because they were instructed to do that i do agree that i don't think anyone was judging them on the liquid they had in their glass but of course they're not alone dan they're joined by a constant companion to the amazing race, <laughs> the Travelocity Roaming Gnome. And of course, oh, you know, we have a, a tried and true Amazing Race historian on this week. I think it's time that we put Amazing Race 101 back in session this week to discuss the history of the Travelocity Roaming Gnome. Amazing Race 101. All right, Dan, so I'm, oh. sh- I'm sure there are people who watched this and said, what the hell is that and why is this such a big deal? Dan, what the hell is that and why is it such a big deal? Well, this is so much fun to do Amazing Race 101. I just hope I live up to this. But um, the history is that back at season seven, the Amazing Race producers contracted with a new sponsor, which was Travelocity, which we're talking, you know, many years ago. So as part of that, for that first season, there was a new task near the end of the race where teams had to bring a Travelocity roaming gnome with them. The interesting part about that one is there was one that had a marking on it where Ron and Kelly ended up winning a huge prize of like $20,000 in vacation money. So, you know, and they, they really played this up. You had, people going, we've got a gnome. It was like the whole leg was basically that. And from there on out, there were many examples of tasks, not just carrying around the gnome, tasks that involved the gnome. A few examples, they had to search through a field of hats in Germany in season nine to find the gnome. One of the best would be season 18, Unfinished Business, where teams had to make a chocolate, chocolate gnome. gnome. Yes. yes. <laughs> With Kenton Vixen and the Globetrotters having some drama there at the roadblock. And, you know, there was also a gnome's 
sort of like curling in season 20. So this has come up very frequently. We actually saw the roaming gnome, though, last season Mm. in season 30 with the zip line where Cedric with his backpack on, ran up and down a lot of buildings trying to find the roaming gnome. And these are just a few examples of many times where the roaming gnome has made an appearance. And generally they have to carry it around. And there's a lot of fun things with teams like we saw with Tyler here talking to the gnome. And the Amazing Race has a lot of enjoyment out of getting this and having a connection. And of course, you've seen the commercials this season with Phil and the roaming gnome in the spa. So they're also using Phil now in their TV commercials. So it's been it's been enjoyable and it's kind of an ongoing thing with the show that they went away from for a little while and weren't doing as much, but it seems like the last few seasons we've really come back to it. Is this, in your opinion, from a reality show perspective, like one of the most ingrained product placement tasks we've seen because like you said it traces its way back to what like 2005 2006 i mean this is when robin amber post all-stars pre-first baby participated in the first roaming gnome task that's how far back it was but to your point it's been such a key tenet of amazing race history to the point where the amazing race gnome was uh the travelocity gnome was live tweeting amazing race for quite some time i can't really think of any other show that has had such an ingrained sponsor that it has had you know such a key landmark task in a part of most seasons of its tenure yeah, because even if you think about a show like Survivor, where they'll have Outback Steakhouse or they'll have, you know, Pringles or whatnot, they usually only do a few times. You don't really have this ongoing thing. We're to the point now with the gnome where I almost you mentioned it as product placement. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's product placement because it doesn't feel egregious like when they have like a car that they have to kick the back open or just something really painful where everyone's talking about it like this is the greatest or steak I've ever had, or, you know, Jack and Jill is a great movie. This is something that's just kind of part of the show. I almost feel like it's just like, like the gnome is an extra little host that shows up every once in a while. Yeah. They sort of like bred with the gnomes a while ago and the gnome DNA is just sort of mixed in there. Now you can't really strip it out. If you do a 23 and me of amazing race, I could say at least 15% of it is gnome at this point. (laughs) Yeah. It's one of those things where, it's so much a part of it that, yeah, I think I think there was some grumbling early on when they did some of the gnome tasks where people were just like, OK, we've this is going to be the week when the gnome gets 100 shots. And the show really played it up even more where now I think it's just like we're to the point now, at least for me, where I just like, oh, there's an old friend. It's yeah. nice that he's here. Exactly. I think Tyler said it best when he said as soon as I saw this little bearded buddy, I said, I know him which I'm assuming is how the majority of the audience felt when they saw Rupert at the premiere this season. (laughs) You got the gnome with the sunglasses on sitting there. And it's, 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 it's a fun thing that, um, that I enjoy. And I like too seeing the gnome on like the buoy at the test that we're going to see later. They had to bring it out in the water. I mean, they, they did some fun things with this week, this week. So one of the things that they're going to do actually, is they're going to go to Marjan cave church. And this is sort of to your point, one of these non task tasks, where there is some poor, lonely monk, Dan, in this weird, like, mountainside cave, and they had to put the gnome in what looks like a lantern on a pulley with a little piece of bread in his pocket and, I guess, give the monk his daily bread. Yeah, well, the good thing for this monk is is that he's getting six pieces of bread this week. He better, so, you know, he better it's save not, it. Not, they're not, it's not every day that the Amazing Race is going to film there. They're going to make another 19 seasons before coming back again. 
Yeah, the show really did not overdo this. I mean, this this is the thing. This is how good this leg was. If this leg had been kind of boring or uneventful, we would have seen every team go up there and give them the bread, and it would have spent five minutes. But what we saw with Chris and Brett, I found very entertaining, just because they're just like, oh, oh, you get the and again, like I mentioned with the gnome, the gnome went up with the bread. So that was just kind of another thing where they got the gnome involved. And I know we did get a comment back about kind of these tasks being kind of uh, not really essential, but I do appreciate at least they had them do something else, even if they were kind of just go here. At least they didn't say go here, go here, go here. They at least had to do something. So the next place they're going to go, though, is a place of consequence, especially for Chris and Brett, who surprisingly, even by, you know, to their own admittance, find themselves out to an early lead above Tyler and Corey. Here's the detour, Dan. Poetry in motion versus washed in from the ocean. First minor quibble here. Uh, I'm not I don't love how there's like a, a, a lack of symmetry with the syllables here. Like it's odd that it's poetry in motion versus washed in from the ocean. It'd be like if you said, uh, pet the dog versus find a sink from which you would unclog. Like, they should balance a little bit, right? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those, couldn't they have just done, like, search the ocean or... I don't know. Just something simple. That's not the best. There's got to be a better one than that. But the idea, yeah, where you kind of like, that's a mouthful. (laughs) It's like... Yeah, and ironically enough, that's the one that didn't have you say a bunch of words. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's like that's the one where it's just like um needle in the haystack kind of thing but yeah maybe the the thing is i mean to, to you even if you just think about the names poetry in motion sounds more fun that sounds a little easier i'm like oh i could do that the other one just like it's like what am i going and getting like bathed in the ocean it doesn't even really describe the task yeah find a bunch of bodies that got washed in the adriatic and you know exhume <laughs> them for your next clue i mean to be honest though i think considering the size of what they were looking for chris and brand might have rather done that than what they ended up doing here I want to start it with Washington from the ocean just because poetry in motion is the one that all the teams end up doing at the end of the day. So I thought we'd touch upon this Washington from the ocean. So you use snorkeling gear and a metal detector to find a goblet and five ancient coins. So we see a few teams attempt this. Chris and Brett most specifically spend the most time there because they get off to a pretty strong lead, though it all sort of falls apart with those pesky two coins that they can't find at the end of the day. There's been a lot of questions, Dan, as to how difficult was this? Was this unfair? Was this impossible? Based on your assessment, what do you think about this side of the detour? I don't think it was impossible. And one of the reasons is because the poem was hard, too. But I don't want to also think it was even. I think this is one of those cases, you know, it was kind of weird because they kept highlighting. They kept like cutting above and highlighting around the buoys. And I watched this multiple times and I kept thinking, what are they doing? Why did why does the show keep highlighting that? And the only thing I could think of is. I think that there was some skill to this. And I think one of the problems Chris and Brett had was they stayed in the shallow end. And when the show pulled up, they kept highlighting further out in the water. So I think there may have been skill. However, I do think this was still uneven. It wasn't an even one, but I would not say this to me is not as bad as when they had to climb that pole that was basically impossible to stand on. Mm. And the whole thing was designed to make them fall. This to me was doable. But it just seemed like, I don't know, I think there was some there had to be some trick to it, because given the size of space, 
I just think nobody figured out really what it was. And the show didn't do a good job of presenting what it was. Yeah. And Cruiser Brett talked about this in their exit interview as well, that I mean, by the logic of, okay, they have to play it. So six teams will participate. You have to think there's at least 30 coins out there. So we're bound to run into one. I wonder if it's a thing where like they search a certain area, got very lucky there with the goblet and the three coins and said, okay, now, okay, so it's obviously in this area where to your point, I think what unfortunately did them in was the fact that it was a huge space. They can correct me here, but it seemed like they were really searching around an area close to one or two buoys when maybe there was some stuff that was more farther, farther out. This seemed extremely difficult from my perspective, just because the goblet seemed totally fine. The coins were probably pretty nasty for a number of reasons and not just nasty because they're pretty grody from whatever year they came from. I mean, one of them is that the coins themselves are supposed to be weathered and dull. So even from a color perspective, I couldn't think you could, I don't think you could even get shine on that thing. Like there were points where they were breaking open rocks and things that sort of look like the coin only for the coin not to be there. Like you couldn't shine a light on it and have it catch your eye. You really had to search every inch of that ocean and the other thing is, I know that you said, oh, yeah, they have a metal detector, but I feel like using a metal detector is way different underwater than it is just navigating the sand. And we've seen Amazing Race tasks before where they use a metal detector on the beach to find things. And that's a needle in a haystack. You know, I don't uh, pride myself with the strongest swimmer, especially underwater. So I know I personally would struggle with trying to hold my breath, stay underwater while still, you know, looking at this little device to see if a light will go off. And if it does, is it going off because there's a battery or a spark plug or is there actually a coin? So I guess, you know, maybe their survivor skills blinded them to the choice that they made of like, oh, yeah, go in the ocean. We know how to snorkel. We can totally do this. But I think the more that they looked at it, while there were mistakes they could have avoided in the execution of it, there was a lot of difficult stuff going on here. Yeah, and you make a good point, too, because like you saw with Colin and Christy when they showed up and they got this giant scoop of things that all the metal detector had set off and there was nothing. So I think this to me didn't this felt like like a task they would do on like an international season of the Amazing Race. Like I've seen like our Canada or Australia, actually the poetry one did, too, where normally in the U.S. version, they would have something like this, but the coins would just be sitting out in the ocean and they would just have to swim down and get them. So I think they were trying to test the teams, but I think I don't think the race designed this realizing how hard this would be until teams really dug into it. Mm, and it can also be something with the tide as well, where, mm-hmm. you know, who knows, maybe the reason why they didn't go farther out is because, you know, the tide was pretty nasty that day. And like, maybe that's why they wanted to stay in the shallow and Uh, The other thing I wanted to point out, which I don't know if you noticed this, Dan, really great editing choice here where when we first see Chris and Brett go into the water, we have a shot of Chris dipping his head above and beneath the surface of the water. And it's this really fun thing where whenever Chris goes underwater, it it plays this like festive Pirates of the Caribbean (laughs) music. And then when he picks his head back up, it's complete silence. Like it's such a fun little effect, which is why I think the amazing race editors do like some of the best jobs of anyone on reality TV today. It's those little moments that have kept me so invested in the show. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) he gets up and it's like, it's like he needs to go back down there and check and see like, what's going on here? What is this? Yeah, exactly. Like he's like, great. There's music and there's no Brett singing along. So I'm, I'm just say, take me Atlantean people. I want to stay in your underwater kingdom forever. <laughs> so what do you think? I mean, this is the big question of this and I is should they have 
stuck it out? Should they have switched? What was the right time to switch or stay or, you know, because it's easy to be results oriented and say, man, they messed that up. But where did they, where did they go wrong? You know, where did I would say co wrong, but wrong season, but where did they, where did they go wrong? What happened there? Yeah, luckily, I mean, it was hot out there, but hopefully nobody got mad from this. <laughs> Not fight. like that. Um, but I would say that I'm going to agree with what Brendan Crispel told Taryn and told me in my interview with parade with them this week, where I think the mistake wasn't sticking around here and, you know, going after Tyler and Corey switched. I think them switching with Colin and Christie when Colin and Christie came was fine. I think the issue was going back after trying the poem once. And we'll talk about the poem. It seems like from what they told me, they mistakenly believed that they each had, they each had to memorize the poem completely. Like Brett had to recite the poem in full. And then Chris had to recite the poem in full instead of splitting it up. Like all these other teams did. And so with that mentality, they probably thought that other task was impossible and went back. I really do feel like going back again was the thing that really did them in because yes you only need to find two other coins and you have that as a mentality but if your mentality is also let's stick around this one area and not branch out from it you're going to end up empty-handed still and wasting too much time yeah i agree because if you think about some of the other teams which we'll get to who how many attempts some of the other teams took and how much struggles they had chris and brett probably could have done the poem 15 20 times <laughs> And still been ahead, you know, I mean, they might have taken that long, but you know what I'm saying? They still would have had a shot. Yeah. Well, speaking of switching, actually, this is going to bring us to uh, the second session of Amazing Race 101, this podcast. Amazing Race 101. Let's talk about switching detours. Because I'm sure people who are new to the Amazing Race, obviously at this point you're used to the fact detour, two choices, lots of its own pros and cons. Sometimes, you know, the cons outweigh the pros. Sometimes, as we saw with the task we just talked about. But you do have the option to switch freely between those two choices. We saw Chris and Brett do this a little bit earlier in the season, but this it's pretty unprecedented where they switch back and forth, you know, a total of three times, making they visited each side of the detour twice at the end of the day. Dan, talk to me a little bit more about historical precedents when it comes to switching detours over the Amazing Race. Well, yes. And I want to thank Adam Rita for bringing this up to the one of the original masters of switching detours. First is season three's Ken and Gerard, which brought up the term bald snark which was the idea of switching detours that they kind of did. And the most famous one for me was actually in Switzerland Mm. when they were counting money and all the other teams had gone to do were behind them and had done something else. And then were coming back. The other teams were finding numbers in Zurich and they just were like abort abort. And they just, (laughs) they constantly switched. And so that kind of set this up. But, but what we were seeing this time was more what's called a, triple bald snark maybe even some say quadruple i think it was triple because if you think about it real quickly brett and chris switch to the poem switch back to the water and then switch back to the poem that's three times so that would be a triple bald snark not a quadruple as some have speculated but a few other examples from the past that i want to bring up there are a few that i i don't and i'm not sure we did have the question i'm not sure mike if you know this about the most switching times ever i wasn't really able to get something totally definitive because you had a few times where like you had a case with tiffany and maria in the netherlands oh, yeah. who ended up getting eliminated in a case where they basically had 
One was they were trying to, they were really physical tasks and it was raining. And one of them was they had to do this like croquet golf example. And another one was like a strength test and they couldn't really do either. And they kept getting more tired. So I don't even know how many times they switched. So that is one example. Another famous example is actually Leo and Jamal, who in Indonesia actually kept going back and forth between trying to find a needle in the haystack task, which the needle in the haystack tasks often lead to problems like this mm. and then kept switching. And then they went to another place and they had to shave their beards. And then they ended up going back because they didn't want to shave their beards. Was at that, the time. The, that was like the traditional like makeup tutorial, right? Versus like the find, you know, grab a scythe and like, you know, make your way through the fields. Am I right with that? Yeah, yeah. They had to go through the fields and do that and find, and they didn't do the task right. So there's been, and then one other one, I mentioned season three again, which was the flow and Zach in Vietnam, oh, which actually had the load, the bicycle that we saw again this week with, um, where they had to ride the bike with the baskets. And then also the other thing that we saw in another leg with the boats where they kept going back and forth and she kept threatening to quit. So there, this is not unprecedented to me what they did. Chris and Brett, there's a few other examples where teams have done this, where they're afraid of something or they just can't figure it out like Keisha and Jen. But in general, this is rare but it generally spells doom for a team. Like I'm looking at all the examples. Flo and Zach survived theirs mainly because they had a non-elimination. <laughs> so most of the time, and actually there was another example with Nick and Vicky in Russia in season 17, same deal. So if they do not get saved by non-eliminations, the quad triple or quadruple bald snark generally leads to elimination. Yeah, so it's like you can do a double, but I think if you go past double, I think it's a good like I don't want to, you know, uh, scribble in an addendum to the JL rules, but I feel like it's like switch and then maybe switch back, but don't switch anymore besides that, because <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's really what put Chris and Brett behind and basically prevented them from catching up, which is why we really yada yada through the last 10 minutes of the episode, because like they said, once they switched away from the poetry back to the water again, that's when things unfortunately started to run a bit short with them, where once they knew, okay, we have, this is impossible, we have to go back and do the poem, we know that unless someone forgets their gnome or something goes wrong disastrously at the roadblock, we're pretty screwed here. Yeah, and one other thing they did, which I don't know how big of a deal it was, but both when Tyler and Corey came, and especially when Colin and Christy came, Chris and Brett were so frustrated that they, they right away you know, this is who they are. So I'm not saying they should have been sly about it, but especially with Colin and Christie, they're like, we've been here for hours and found nothing. And Colin and Christie left. Now they probably would have left anyway. So I don't want to oversell it, but doing that. And then also kind of making it clear what was happening. They really made sure no, they helped to make sure no other teams did this. Yeah. I mean, it is a, I'll compare that to last week when the O'Reilly said, Hey, Colin and Christie, can we see your clue? And they politely said, no, I wonder if it is a thing of like Amazing Ray's experience where there is a way to refuse information and be polite about it. And Chris and Brett talked a lot in both of our interviews about just how amiable they were with everybody. Maybe they thought that'd be a betrayal of a relationship if they didn't divulge the information. Maybe they weren't thinking at the time because they were freezing and had a bunch yeah. of coins shoved into <laughs> their palms, fruitlessly looking at the ocean floor for it. But I do agree that I think if it came down to them knowing they were last I do feel like a lot of switching they did was also the leniency of like, hey, we're in the lead. We can take this time to do this. No problem. I wonder if they had known that they were in a relationship for last place, if they would have, 
you know, pulled an Afghan and been like, we just got here. I don't know what's going on either. Let's look together. Yeah. And I think, too, a point that you made about them being cold is important because Almost all of the examples that I pulled up there, pretty much all of them, the teams were exhausted and feeling terrible and their brains were not thinking clearly. And you could see it in Brett and Chris, Chris's eyes the second time they went back to the water. They had that look in there. Even when they went back to the poem, this looked like I'm in this nightmare that I can't get out of. They didn't have this look like we're going to grind grit through this. And this is not picking on them. This they to their credit. They finished the leg. A lot of teams would have just yeah. been like, I'm going to sit on the beach. Phil, come and get us. Yeah, you know, they, amazing race Canada three and just quit the task. Yeah, they didn't do that. No taking a penalty. None of that. They powered through. And I don't I don't they weren't close to winning, but I don't think they were like six hours behind or something. Yeah, you could see. I mean, Brett even said this of like you could see the beer in Brett's eyes and be like, let me just go back to the beach and just hang <laughs> out with those people. I don't care if the drinks are fake. I just want to get out of this damn water. <laughs> it's like I'll just hang out here. That's what he even said at the end. That was a fun running through line of the episode with Brett's talk about beer, which I suspect he probably mentioned it many, many more times than we heard. <laughs> All right, well, let's go to the other side here. Let's talk about poetry in motion because, my God, I don't know who came up with this. If this was a task that they were sitting on for a while, but thank the amazing raise God for this because this is ridiculous dan in the best way possible i love this task this is what i was what i mentioned i picture amazing race canada is having something like this i could picture john you saw phil out there with multiple people kind of holding him in yeah, he's trying in more the, stuff this season like he shot yeah. the crossbow in the last episode yeah. like he knew that uh johnny Monts was uh up his bum a little bit so he decided to step up his game and start getting into the task a little bit more yeah, and that's totally where I think of this as like like you know Canada, where he'd be out, their host would be out there flopping around while talking and the whole deal. And Canada loves memorizing tasks that are weird, and this is totally up their alley. But with that said, I cannot recall one that threw people up in the air like Colin and Christy and Nicole and Victor were while trying to read this poem. And I watched that going. Man, I don't know if I could do that very well because it. I I would have. I was afraid somebody was going to fly out of the boat. Oh yeah, this was whiplash laying waiting to happen. Like I, I'm sure this is one of the reasons where they're like, "Hey, you guys signed the liability waiver, right? Great, we're going to put you in this rapidly, you know, speeding boat that's going to cruise over all these waves." This looked insane. It reminds me of like some of those, and we talked about it in the first like like these Japanese game shows where they'll have people do these ridiculous tasks with like a leaf blower's blowing in their face <laughs> or like a man slapping them as hard as possible. Like it was the humor, of course, came from them trying to memorize this poem while being jostled around just by <laughs> the waves. And it was truly ridiculous to look out. It looked harrowing and definitely high flying, especially with Colin and Christy. But I'm glad that everyone left with their lives and I guess a better sense of poetry. Yeah. And also I did enjoy what it did is having the first few times we had these teams who did not expect it. I think they probably figured, okay, we're going to kind of ride here and we might go a little bit and like then they come up and they know nothing. I love the Corey and Tyler's um, good news. We don't know the poem, <laughs> but you know, there was a lot of that. Like the first time that Brett and Chris went up there and there was like oh, a yeah, yeah. bird. I have that actually here right now. Here's Brett and Chris. As we saw as we soaring along, 
traveling along with our friend, the roaming gnome. We'll go back on the boat. <laughs> I just love that, like, Brett's the kid who's like, yeah, I did my book report. Uh, great expectations. It was the good times. It was, I'm going to go to detention right now. <laughs> Be like, expectations were great for this book, and it met them. <laughs> well, let me let me play the poem for you, Dan, because maybe we could break this down a little bit, because usually to your point, I feel like the poems that are usually done on this show are like, I don't know, sonnets or things written by great authors of the past. I do not know who wrote this, but this is definitively Amazing Race oriented uh, through through Nicole. Let's have Nicole be the one to Nicole and Victor will deliver this poem for us. As we are rising towards the unknown, traveling with our friend, the roaming gnome. High in the sky, flying around, but why? The mystery of being tied to a rope, feeling like touristic folk, yet soaring like a bird. During this flight of triviality, zooming over the municipality, as we smoothly move along, what could go wrong? As we were told, once up there, never release the trigger, set to hair. It's only fair. Amen. <laughs> I have so many questions. The first, as reflected in one of these lines, but why? But why does this poem exist, Dan? <laughs> I was kind of swept up in that for a minute. I was just like, oh, this is pretty nice. I'm like, it's funny because I don't know why. I mean, it's like a weird mix. Some of the things tie directly to like the race. Like, oh, we feel like tourists. And I think I even said the wrong word there. And it seems a little, there's a little. You have to go back now. You didn't say touristic. There's a little triviality. <laughs> but I don't know if we're going to go through it all. I don't want to jump ahead. But overall, I like the fact that part of it seemed like they're just trying to stretch for a rhyme and part of it, they were trying to be a little deep and part of it was just like nonsense. Yeah. So this is, I don't want to, you know, do too much like English class breakdown here, but I love that we go as we are rising to the unknown with our friend, the roaming gnome, like this is great. As you said, nice and nice rhyming stuff here. Amazing race references high in the sky flying around. Okay. We're not really rhyming here, but why? Okay, why are you asking a question in the middle of this poem? I honestly feel like the some like this was like ghostwritten by several parties, and the first person ended with "but why" and gave up, and then someone else <laughs> had to step in and keep writing. The mystery of being tied to a rope, feeling like touristic folk—that is, oh boy, the connection between those two, two words is like as big as the area that Brett and Chris had to <laughs> rope to folk is a real stretch. That's like a a grade school kind of rhyme that doesn't really work. Yeah, I mean, that could be a great detour choice as well. Rope or folk. <laughs> exactly. Yet soaring like a bird. Again, sticking out of nowhere. Zoom of during this flight of triviality, zooming over the municipality. I'll give them credit there, though I feel like, don't you feel like municipality came before triviality did in the poem writing process? <laughs> also, were they really going over a municipality? Is that really what happened? Yeah, they're typically going over the 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 sea. Not really. I mean, if they had flown, yeah. they, I mean, Colin and Christie nearly did fly above the municipality, but <laughs> technically speaking, not really. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The the kind of it definitely seems like this is like one of those movies that had like eight writers, and they were just kind of filling it in when they got when they got there. And maybe they were doing it like on the plane before they got there and putting it in there. It's a bit of a stretch, but um, I don't think that guy, the poetry expert, 
was that impressed with the poem either. Yeah, it's like Mr. Like Tommy Bahama hat on just lounging <laughs> under this tree. Uh, I'll keep going here. Yeah, as go. We, as we smoothly move along, what could go wrong? As you asked before, as we were told once up there, those I mean, I don't know where those words come from. They don't rhyme whatsoever. <laughs> Never release the trigger set to hair. It's only fair. Why are why are we suddenly talking about the 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 arrow task was last leg, Dan? Why are we talking about hair triggers here? Well, maybe never release the trigger. Is that like you got to hold on to the rope that was tied around you or something? But is hair just a comment about Victor? I don't know. I don't know where the hair part comes from. Because like, like hair trigger would imply like okay, there's something that if you release it, will you know, I don't know do, make something really crazy happen. Maybe you're t- right. maybe to your point, it is like a quick release pull or something. But the biggest, I guess, weird thing about this to me, which was brought up by one of our listeners, why does the poem end with Amen? <laughs> was this a prayer all along? Is this like a Psalm 31 of Amazing Race? Yeah, it ended, I was, or it was Amen, like Brett said. But um, I think, you know when they do these things, they always want to have, like same with the song or anything they do, they want to have something that like for the viewer we know that's the end. Like we do this. So you got to have something. The end just can't be like a standard rhyme. So when they get to well, amen, no standard okay. rhymes of this poem anyway. So I think they did a good job <laughs> with that. Yeah. So I think they're, I think they got to the point. They're like, how do we end this thing? We need to have something that when we cut to the end of every team, we know the poem's done. And somebody's like, well, uh, amen, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I can think of. I can't think of a reason why. Cause yeah, it's not a prayer. They're not really even saying anything really that solemn. It's just kind of a grouping of thoughts and, <laughs> words it is kind of like like a grade school poem as i've seen a few in my day already that but amen it's just like uh, uh yeah i guess that's the same as i'm being like finito or done or i don't know what do you think i don't know well actually uh, what you mentioned before here is a uh, brett's take and this is very much the difference between we listen to his first attempt here's his last attempt at the poem Zooming over the municipality as we slowly move along. What could go wrong? Amen. <laughs> He's so angry. <laughs> ah. <laughs> uh, Elliot was screaming through that uh, that end of it. I don't really know. Is this supposed to be a benediction to this man? Is this man some sort of like poetry shaman? Who's supposed to, I don't know, give them like their transubstantiation. They've gone through their journey. They've been baptized in a way in the in the Adriatic seawaters. And now they receive their next clue. I'm not entirely sure. But if, if the, so, this guy is a big stickler because true to the poetry task on Amazing Race, this was you had to get it word for word. No triviality, no tourism instead of touristic, no what can go wrong instead of what could go wrong. And as a result, Dan, we saw a lot of frustration from these teams. Yeah. And you noticed even like with what that said, um, touristic, if they said, ah, before it, they were wrong. Yeah. That actually got them. So it wasn't even like, it wasn't even just, they said the wrong word. If they even had an extra, like, not a uh, like, oh, uh, like, um, like the A, the letter A before it, you know, they were wrong. Yeah, there was a lot of problems, especially the most notable beyond Brett and what we've heard is Leo and Jamal, who literally missed the same word. Leo, we've until you've talked a lot about Jamal being kind of the um, pulling down the team. But this was Leo and Jamal. He wasn't having it at all. But the, the weird thing was, is I felt like Jamal was being very like cryptic. He kept just, they kept walking back and Jamal would be like, yeah, I know what you did. 
I know what you did. I'm not going to tell you. I guess they probably cut and then he told them what he did. But I I guess they were so frustrated. But yeah, they did it, what, 11, 12 times, I think. About the same amount as Brett and Chris, I think. Which is crazy. And it's something that we've experienced before. This reminds me back during the virtual reality task in Dubai, where that last question about the satellite receiver, they were there so, so long because they just weren't getting on the same page. Dan, what has happened? To this team, because I talked about this last week as well. You know, you picked the Afghanimals for your draft back in the day, but they were doing so well in the first two legs. This is their third time racing. What do you think's going on with them where these types of situations, which for all intents and purposes would happen to like a newbie team, are happening to the most veteran racers here? Well, I think back to when we had our preview podcast and we talked about them and you mentioned I think it was it was you that said in the unfinished, not unfinished business, excuse me, in season 24, they were very sloppy. Even though they fit, they ended up getting in fourth, they were not super sharp. They made a lot of mistakes. They got really lucky. And even in their first season where they were good, they do they did tend to be all over the map and they would make blunders like we talked about the um I don't know how many triple balls snark or whatever they did in that yeah, season. They, went, they almost went bar by yeah. ball by shaving their beards as well. That caused even more balls snarking to happen. <laughs> exactly. But um, so they're. I feel like they they do their racing style is really off the cuff. I mean, they tend to, and I think as seasons gone on, it seemed even more that way. Where while they can be very good, they tend to. Sometimes they just get a little bit in their own heads. I don't know if it's just being the third time or what. They don't seem super stressed all the time, but they tend to hit these mental blocks with mental challenges. But I wouldn't even say like super comp. They're not like doing math or something. But and I also feel like they're not communicating very well when things go badly, which is weird for a team that's known each other for so long. Yeah, I really think it's a thing where and maybe this is the end of a double-edged Roman sword when it comes to the fact that this is their third time out, that I feel like maybe they're just both so confident in their own individual racing skills that they affirm, no, I'm right. I've done this before. Like, that was the situation here where, to your point, I think Jamal was a bit cryptic in the beginning, but I think as a gun nearer, Jamal was saying, I'm telling you, man, I think it's what could go wrong. You keep saying what can go wrong. And Leo says, no, man, I got all my answers done. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm already off looking for a wife at another airport. That's how good I am on this task. And I think it's just a matter of like almost a lack of introspection. And maybe it's so much concentrating on your teammate or concentrating on everyone else that you should take a second and say, "Okay, am I getting my stuff right? You know, we only have a few legs left. I'm not sure how much is going to come into play. But I would say, you know, they've had a couple of other struggle bus moments over the course of this race. But I feel like that might be their Achilles heel at this point. Yeah, I actually think um, they've been pretty lucky that, um, like, you know, even this week with um, I mean, if Brad and Chris had not struggled so much, it would have changed the whole leg. And we'll get to the roadblock in a minute in terms of how things worked out. But they've been, you know, second last or third last or whatnot pretty consistently, which is fine. You really just don't need to be last. But looking at the board. You know, you're running short on teams that are going to make mistakes, even you know, like Brett and Chris did this week. I think I'm not saying they have no chance to make the final three. And this even I, you know, they were my last team on Team Dan and have been for a very long time. But um, 
I, I don't have a huge high hopes that they have. A, like early on, I thought they had winter upside even when they were kind of going downwards and such. But now even their story and their edit, I just don't see it. Yeah, well, I think it's also a matter of an amazing race of like momentum. And especially when it comes to the end, like there might be a team who's struggled so much, you know, in the middle of the race, but it depends on how they do at the end. A great example is, again, going back to the Afghanimals first season, Travis and Nicole were doing so well in the first few legs, but it all fell apart at the end when actually sort of like what's going on with the Afghanimals, the two of them just sort of lost trust in each other. And as a result, they fell apart and ended up in third place when they really could have been a front runner. And yeah, I will certainly get into some predictions later on, but I could see a very similar path for them, which again is so crazy considering that they were, you know, came in first easily for the first two legs. It's just been so up and down, which is crazy for the most, you know, uh, for a team that's now running up on the heels of Rachel's new set record for most number of legs run in a career. Let's get to the roadblock here because, well, I do feel like this was sort of, uh, you know, a bit of a, a dessert instead of the main course that was the detour. There's still something interesting to talk about here. Who's ready to get their marching orders? Dan, we are going back in time to the Romans uh, as these teams are going to watch some soldier formations and figure out where five soldiers ended up in position. Yeah, it would, I like this task. I thought it was fun. I um, I mean, teams kind of, it's hard to say beyond, you know, Floyd, how things would have really worked out if everyone was kind of working individually. I think the show had more of an expectation. You might have four or five teams doing this all at once, judging by how things were set up because there were extra stations in there. But what I liked about this is just, um, you know, it's mental concentration and it looked kind of cool. I, I kind of like the goofiness with the Senator and the thumbs up and down and all that. I don't know. I thought, I thought they did a good job and it was in a really cool location. Yeah. I mean, I think whenever amazing race goes back in time, it's always a little schlocky. You know, I think <laughs> yeah. we mentioned before, like the remote controlled chariot races that, that they did, I think in yeah. Italy in season 24 last season was the uh, medieval trebuchet that they had to build with the team member in the stockades. Like, I always love when they dip into historical fiction, but when they literally step into historical fiction, sometimes it's a little weird, even though they do pull off the cinch robe look well. I mean, this looked, at least from my perspective, really difficult. You know, I think Corey said it best when he compares it to a cup and a ball game or a shell game. But imagine if instead of just one, you're watching five of those shady ass dealers doing it at the same time. I think that the number of soldiers to track, I give Floyd so much credit in the world for being able to do that, because I do wonder if, to your point, they thought people would collude. Four teams did in two separate instances, and it got them out of there in no time because you could very easily divide up the board. If you're trying to track five different people across an 18 square grid, that seems nearly impossible to me. Yeah, I mean, watching it at home, I could never figure out what was going on. It was not something where you could go, oh, yeah, that's blah, blah, blah. And the show didn't really present it for us to try to figure out. But you saw even when Corey and Nicole started working together, they did have that one moment where they think they would have been right. And they they went with her choice. But then it took them another like five tries. So even two people working together. It wasn't easy. So I wonder, I, I didn't think about the show setting it up that way, but I think that's true. What ended up, but what was interesting too, is you have these teams, especially when teams were fourth and fifth, the teams were so confident in that they, you know, they still felt like 
smartly, this is our way to be safe. Not yeah. no ego involved. Yeah, it's sort of like a, an impromptu version of the intersection from a few seasons of The Amazing Race <laughs> where you had teams work together. But it's super smart. To your point, it's a, it's a great strategy of like, hey, you know what? Uh, especially when when Leo and Chrissy did it, and that's pretty much, unfortunately, what sealed Chris and Brett's fate. I feel like if they had to work on their own, maybe this could have dragged someone like Leo down and allowed Brett to pass them because it seemed like he had no difficulty whatsoever with this. But because they were able to work together, it pretty much, you know, signed their doom there. And I, I think that the other thing that Corey and Nicole struggle with a bit is because they got the idea to work together. But their initial idea of working together was for still them both to watch it and to just, yeah. you know, combine it, compare answers as opposed to really dividing things up and do as the Romans do and copy off of each other was the best way to go. Just considering how much was going on in that 300 esque formation they were doing. Yeah. And that, at least from what we could tell, Christy and Leo did that immediately, where at least when they said it, they were like, it wasn't clear how long they'd been there or if that was right. I think it was pretty much right away. But they decided, OK, let's split the board. And that's that's where, though, Leo, I think, really was the one who who offered that up front and was smart to realize that, you know, once he got over being so awed by how cool it was and, you know, quoting Gladiator or whatever. But um. Yeah, I think it was good, but and it sounded like from their exit interview with Taryn that Brett, like you said, did this very quickly. But yeah, once those two agreed, it's over. Unfortunately, I guess we should mention that Colin and Christy forgot their gnome too, yeah. which kind of created in a weird way. Though it made it by doing that, then they knew that Brett and Chris were still there, yeah, which was interesting. They went back and they saw their stuff. I mean. They are also probably the only team amongst this amazing race veterans to not have dealt with the gnome considering the last time that they played. So maybe it's just right. a new foreign concept to them, which is why they just sort of abandoned their gnome and had to go back to get it. So yeah, there was a little bit of like a commercial break with that. But once Colin and Christy went and grabbed it, they came back. Leo was still there. So him and Christy could work together. So again, a little bit of drama injected in there just to give uh, Brett and Chris some hope. Let's get to the pit stop here. Uh, because they're going to row, row, row their boats across the harbor to the pit stop where there will be embraced, Dan, not only by Phil, not only by two lovely women greeters, but also by what looks like 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> I did enjoy that where um, a team came up and was like, whoa. Okay. Okay. This is too much. The dog, the dogs are a little too animated. Yeah. That was, that was, that was fun. You know, that, um, you know, now we can have all the scenarios of like, what will this mean for the final task? Will it have something to do with the Dalmatians? Yeah, I think what's going to happen is each Dalmatian is going to have a spot that looks like a country that they've been to, and they have to put them in order while not having them like run around and sniff each other's butts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the dinghy, too, didn't end up... I mean, I know that I, the show has done more things like this where they try and have them do one more thing like this, thinking maybe there'll be a race to the finish, but, I mean, there was sort of a race for first, but not really. It was, again, Tyler and Corey. Well, it didn't help that, um, you know, this was pointed out on Reddit, that Tyler and Corey were rowing with the pointed end of the boat facing forward, and Victor was doing the, uh, for some reason, whenever I see someone rowing two paddles, I, for some reason, my mind goes back to um, the talented Mr. Ripley when they're on the <laughs> lake, uh, as perverted as my mind is. So Victor was sort of doing that, but he was facing, the, the pointed end was facing the back. So it's not necessarily something that can cut through the water that easily. So I think any chance that Victor and Nicole had of catching up to Tyler and Corey was pretty much gone from when Victor decided to row in that certain direction. Yeah, that's a good point. And the fact that it was just him rowing too, where Tyler and Corey were both rowing and 
not particularly well from what I could tell, but they, um, they, you know, broke the record first yeah. place. So let's talk about that. Tyler and Corey first place four times in a row. And that makes for nine times career first places, which is at least a U.S. franchise record, which is ridiculous. I mean, Dan, does this change your opinions on Tyler and Corey when it comes to dominance, considering what they've been able to do over the past month of the Amazing Race? Um, no, I think I mean, I, I when I the season started, I kind of came in with them pretty much at or near the top of the leaderboard because they really they really dominated the season they were on before, especially in the second half of that season where, I mean, it was basically the fact that there was kind of a weirdly designed finale. So I kind of came in expecting it. They didn't, I mean, early on the season, they seemed really content to kind of hang out in the middle of the pack. If I look at, you know, their placements, but Right now, I mean, they the thing that they're doing it right now against really good competition too, probably much stronger competition than in season 28 is more impressive. So I I'll be interested to see what happens. I mean, there are just some teams that have just been, you know, they've gotten so many first. But Colin and Christie was brought up to me, have not finished lower than fourth since leg two of season five, wow. which is just insane. So that's the first so, time in like, yeah, like 20 plus legs that they finished below the top four. And they got close here with the gnome yeah. stuff, but they were able to, to pass Leo and Jamal at the last second. Yeah, they still finished fourth. But I just think of that like that's amazing, too. They're up there as one of the better teams. But the fact that Tyler and Corey keep beating them and keep beating Team Fawn and Nicole and Victor have been good in the Afghanimals. It's even more impressive they keep winning first this season. So I won't get too far ahead of ourselves, but next week it was shown to us that there is another U-turn. Tyler and Corey were able to somehow evade the vote for the U-turn last time. Now they have their fourth first place victory. Do you feel like the U-turn's coming their way again? It should be. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it depends where they are on the leg. But if it was me, I know we saw in the clip that the team saying, the Afghanimal saying we're going to get Nicole and Victor or whatever. But really, the teams coming into this next week, they'll have won four in a row. It's yeah. like, how do you not, unless it's a situation where a team is like way behind or you're in fourth and you want to hit the or third and you want to hit the team in fifth and Tower and Corey were first. But if they're behind teams, they've got to take a shot at them here. This is the last one. Well, the thing that I wonder, and Brent and Chris brought this up in my interview with them, they gave me a bit more background as to why they voted for Rachel and Melissa. And as I spoke about last week, it was definitely more multifaceted than they don't talk to us that much, which was the edit. Uh, what the reason the edit gave us last week. And one of the reasons is Brett and Chris looked around at the other teams and they looked at Colin and Christie who are already U-turned. They looked at uh, the Afghanimals who had been known for surviving U-turns two in one season on season 23, even and team fun and Tyler and Corey, who it's been so long ago, Dan, but let's remember Tyler and Corey did get U-turned in leg two and they survived it. I really wonder if that stigma has been like sort of a, I guess it's the opposite of the mark of K and the mark of Abel, I suppose, on them, where now teams are saying, well, I don't want to U-turn them because I know they're going to beat the U-turn no matter what. And then I would have just wasted it. That's a good point, because and I did listen to them talking about that with Taryn. Um, so teams may look at it and they may say, OK, let's let's U-turn the Afghanimals because 
or Nicole and Victor, for example, because we think they're more likely not to get over it, especially. And then if a team is the first team gets you turned is one of them. You say, you know, I'm if if somebody's just thinking, I want to get to the final three, I don't care if Tyler and Corey are there. It's all about like a confident team like Colin and Christie or even Team Fun. They may not even worry about knocking out the top team. They just may think, let's get there. Mm-hmm. So Tyler and Corey are in first. They get a trip to Mexico, including that always fabulous spa package that Phil likes to talk about so much. Victor and Nicole are in second place. I got to say, despite all the grousing about the line cutting, Victor and Nicole, once they actually landed in Croatia, did a pretty darn good job. Uh, you know, I think had they just uh, gotten to the rowboat a little bit early, they could have gotten their first first place victory. Oh, man, they're so setting up, though, for the the um, the classic amazing race. Second place, second place, second place. Never get a first at it. It's just it's coming, Mike. I can feel it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a number of different things, though, because I feel like you have a couple teams. You have like Tyler and Corey and Colin and Christie were teams that made the finale and were the, the dominant teams in their season, but didn't win. Becca and Floyd, you know, they technically left the race against their own volition last time. Leo mm. and Jamal, they never made the finale. Will they be able to do it this time? So. There are stories set up, though, to your point, there is a there might be a Joey and Kelsey arc set up for Victor and Nicole of, you know, always the bridesmaid will become the bride at the very end where the most important wedding happens. I will say this has not been nailed down nearly as much as the Joey and Kelsey one was also because there was a dominant team ahead of them that was constantly winning. This is and 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 team fun. We have seen that clip with Floyd on the bike a lot of times. So they're also making a, a case for team fun to overcome something too. Every time Floyd does something great, we go back to that. It's like this time I'm doing better. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. Speaking of team fun, they finish in third here. A bit of a low key leg for team fun outside of the line cutting stuff. You know, we find out that Becca likes to memorize via rap. I'm assuming she went to the Ron Clark Academy and Floyd. This was another, you know, great task for Floyd where yet another choreography slash formation thing um drum major comes in handy dan how many super fans in college are going to become drum majors after this after watching how much floyd has excelled in the amazing race from those skills who knew when he was a drum major how much it would help him in the amazing race i don't know and who knew for becca how much the beatbox boxing and mountain climbing would really work for her it seems like they those two have had like something every leg where they're like, this is right in our wheelhouse. This is what we can do. And it's working out for them. Yeah. I mean, they're strong, strong team who just keeps hanging in there. So we, uh, we get, you know, some stuff going on with the last few teams. I will say just going back briefly to the poetry in motion, we saw Colin roll out of the helicopter, like a secret agent in Switzerland. (laughs) He does it sort of again here where when he was talking about the hair trigger, I guess his interpretation, Dan, was for him to take his spy pose once again. <laughs> I think Colin wants to be 007. You know, I know you guys have talked about not recognizing this Colin and how, you know, he's there. So not what we expected, but they really make me laugh, especially him because he's just so dorkier than I remember. Like I just, I, he's like become a kind of a, a dad joke, dorkier guy, even though he's still into everything like the Colin from, Season five was like a few years out of college, kind of bro you know, and I don't mean bro like the bromance, you know, that we saw, but more like beefed up guy, really, a, you know, a lot of aggression. This guy's kind of a goofy 
cartoon character. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I think, like I said before, I think all the energy he had towards his fury in season five has been channeled towards his fun in season 31. Chris and Brett said something to me where they said they really hit a wall in in leg three this season, which led to them, you know, nearly getting eliminated. After that, they said, you know what? We're not having fun on this race and we've done horrible. No matter what happens, let's just enjoy ourselves. And I honestly do feel like aside from a couple of instances, Colin particularly has had so much fun on this race and his energy has been completely infectious. I adore Colin 2.0. And I think the show does as well, considering what they've been doing with him. Yeah. And I think part of this is the long stretch of time between the first time they were on and now it's just, it's, this isn't a case where they, it's like fresh. Like if they had come back, even in which almost happened in season 11, I think they would have come back with a lot to prove because they came so close and it was still, you know, a few years later, two to three years later, it would have been fresh in their brain. Now it's just like, I think there's part of them, both of them. I mean, Christie's too is just like, I think they're just like, I almost like, I can't believe we're doing this again Mm -hmm. and they're trying to enjoy it. And also it, it kind of helps that, they both are also very good at like, you know, in season five, they had the roadblock disparity. So we weren't sure how she would do. And she's also been very good in most of the tests. They don't have a lot of weaknesses. So that's why we're seeing them go second, third, fourth, first, you know, the whole deal. Yeah. Their only weakness is gnome abandonment, apparently. <laughs> yes. No more gnomes, though. Hopefully they're OK. Yeah. So Colin and Christy come in fourth. Afghanimals come in fifth. And Chris and Brett Bring up the rear here, though, of course, in true comical fashion, Brett muses, I'll never make detective because I couldn't find those coins. <laughs> he talks a lot again about how uh, work is going to punish him for the stuff that happened to him on the race. So I can imagine, you know, that pales in comparison to what he assumed is going to be all these pictures of Chris carrying his bag that's going to be around the break room. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed seeing them on the show. The Brett and Chris were both fun on Survivor, and but just knowing more about them through, you know, through this podcast and stuff. And I'm I'm so happy that they got to be on for this long, you know, because early on I was worried they were going to be out quick. Yeah, I was super happy with this because this was sort of like a, a different degree with Corinne and Eliza. Corinne and Eliza, you know, never played Survivor together and their relationship was really fostered off TV. Chris and Brett's relationship was fostered on the island, but we really saw nothing of it. And, you know, us deep-seated RHAP fans know that they, you know, have this bromance turn romance slash Chris is my bitch, as Brett will say multiple times, though. Uh, I guess maybe that was uh, nailed down by the fact that Chris carried Brett's bag around so much. <laughs> Didn't necessarily help Chris's case that much. But what, I, what I've loved personally is seeing all around the Internet, people who aren't necessarily tuned into the deep vein of the community saying like, wow, Brett and Chris are so much fun. I really love, you know, their sense of humor. I love the energy that they're bringing. And I'm so excited because like those are the people that we know. And so it's like getting to see like almost uh, it's weird to say, but like, People you really know go on to the race and be like, no, no, just watch. Like, I know you're you're balking at the idea of them coming on in the first place, but they're going to be a lot of fun. And not only were they a lot of fun, but they were the last Survivor team standing. They had pretty good momentum going, you know, were it not for some pretty bad mistakes and bad luck here in Croatia. They would have survived to the final five. And who knows where we go from there. But I, I was really happy to see them. And I don't know if that means a return appearance for them. Uh, they'll bring their skinny jeans no matter what. So you can't go wrong with Brett and Chris. 
Yeah, I think the show also got what they wanted from Brett and Chris because, you know, like you said, a small portion of us saw that and thought, this is amazing. I can't believe these guys are on this show. But I can see a lot of even Survivor fans who don't who might say, well, why are these guys on the show? And actually similar with Corinne and Eliza in a way, but who I still enjoyed watching for a short period of time. But it's just great. I mean, that's what I said about this cast. I think it's too bad we lose Brett and Chris, but I look at who we have left and I'm like, it's great. You know, there's really anyone we would have lost. I would have been like, oh, that's too bad. Uh, can I relay a story for a second from uh, my interview with Brett and Chris that they brought up that I thought was just way too fun? Yeah, go for it. So I asked, you know, them at the end what they learned about each other and read the interview. There's some great back and forth between them that really shows the bromance is real and it's happening. But so the the teams, you know, occupy their time in various ways during pit stops. And Chris told me that he made a cell phone out of a notepad. And during their hotel breaks, him and Brett would check social media on their fake phone. And that's how they, they occupied their time during the amazing race. Oh boy. That's a, <laughs> as somebody with a, with a few kids who sometimes come up with fake phones. Um, this is familiar to me. <laughs> it's on the same level. But I, it's I can, it's I, very I, survivor though, right? 2000 oh. Greg, Greg Buies with the coconut phone. Here we are. The amazing race version of the coconut phone. Yeah. Or the Blackberry for Shane powers or something, you know, it's just, um, I think that's cool. I, I really like, I like the way that they handled it. And, um, I could totally, your story does not surprise me that much seeing how, how these guys were on the show. All right. Let's get into some questions from you all about this leg and moving forward. First from Joshua Felix, who has a bit of a question about leg design following a leg with a U-turn that a targeted team couldn't avoid by getting to the board first. Do you think the possible knock-on effect of having flight booking, which hinders those behind, is bad leg design or good to make the vote more consequential? So as we talked about in the beginning of the leg, Tyler and Corey and Brett and Chris were able to benefit from the fact that they were out in the lead. And, you know, at the end of the last leg, they got the first flight into Croatia, barring some mistakes that could have both finished in the top once again. How much do you think the U-turn vote actually affected, you know, what happened in this leg, considering that a team like Colin and Christie, who ran pretty seamlessly, still ended up, you know, far back enough from the other teams that they wound up on the last last flight and really didn't stand a chance of getting back into the lead this time? You know, part of me, I think it had an impact. But then I think the big question is, is that bad? Because... The bad leg design comes when you have we've had situations in the past, especially some early seasons where a team not even just through a U-turn or through whatever happened. were so far behind that you had a whole leg of they would be in last. We would just see them going over and over. We're going to catch up. We're going to catch up. And they never make it and get eliminated that I don't like. But for this, I feel like it's OK sometimes if there are consequences that cross multiple legs, I don't feel like they have to bunch. This is, I mean, it's become a common thing that every leg is kind of a new game. And I like, I appreciate that, but here and there, especially as you get further into the season, part of me thinks, you know, a team finishes lower. They, they shouldn't automatically go back to first. There sometimes should be a two or three episode stretch where as long as teams are still have a chance, like you saw with the flights here, it's okay. It's not a bad thing. Mm, I would agree with that. I think that, you know, for all the complaints that people have had about bunching each and every leg, I would say that you sort of counterbalance uh, fairness 
with the meritocracy of the race, where this is probably a bit more unfair. As we said, again, Chris and Brett and Tyler and Corey were able to pick from the litter with the early flights, but it's because they did so well in the previous leg that they were able to do so. And yes, unfortunately, Colin and Chrissy did get a bit screwed there, but you know, through their own racing merits, you'd argue that, okay, they got in third place last time. You think they should be able to work their way out of it this time. So I like the way that they changed it up, both with booking their own flights and as a result of maybe making things a bit more based on results from the previous leg. Yeah. Which was something that was more common, not every week, but in earlier seasons. So I feel like it's not, this isn't a total throwback, but I like the fact that in a sense, it, there are some connections, at least. It doesn't feel like a completely different show. There there are consequences, I guess, to what you do. Corey asks, where does Brett, Chris and Brett's confident declaration of their snorkeling skills land them in the list of five-hole victims? I'll modify this question a bit. Dan, is this a five-hole situation? I'm saying no, because to me, a five-hole is... When you have something that is connected to either your job or something you do regularly in life that then seems totally made for you and you fail. Obvious examples being a hockey player and not being able to shoot the five hole. You know, other examples, like even if we look at this team, if you have somebody who's like, I don't know, I'm I'm blanking on a good example, but somebody who like rides motorcycles every day and can't ride a motorcycle or whatever, you know, something very simple, similar to that. In this case, just saying, oh, we did it on Survivor and we we think we'll do well. To me, that's more, that's a really minor thing. I don't know. What do you think? I would say if, if this was Rupert doing it, then yeah, that would be a five <laughs> hole. Because I feel like that's something we really know him for, to your point. And again, maybe it's just us playing folly to the edit of Survivor Millennials versus Gen X. I feel like Ken McNichol would have had this be more of a five hole task than these two. Yeah, maybe, um, you know, if he was with all the random things that he found when he was when he was snorkeling, you know, Ken, Ken would be a better choice. But yeah, to me, I didn't even think about it when I was watching. I did think, oh, they might be making a bad decision. But I didn't think of this in terms of like, oh, a professional dancer can't get the dance or a singer or something. That to me is more what falls under like a real five hole. Let's talk about this ending a bit, because as we spoke about before, you know, going into the last commercial break was Colin and Christy rushing back to get the gnome. Chris and Brett still at the detour and Leo and Jamal at the roadblock. And we just really rushed everything together to the point where when Chris and Brett got there, Phil just basically said you're eliminated from the race. Like no preamble. We have a couple of questions about this that I'll sort of lump together. Joseph Dunn asks, for some reason, I was so confident that this was a keep racing type of ending. Did Phil even say they were eliminated? And on top of that, BJ Anderson said, why did it feel like the Matt edits were extremely weird and or rushed? What were your thoughts on how this episode ended outside of the actual elimination itself? I do think it was quick. I think that was because they there was just a lot to cover in this episode and they really spent a lot of time, you know, on the various little tasks, but especially on what happened with Chris and Brad and the detour and all that. Um, but I didn't feel like it was absurd. I also think is ever since Phil has said, you know, Phil basically said there's no more non-eliminations. I feel like the show is just kind of there. There's no like well, maybe we'll make it. Maybe we won't. Something like that. When Phil's at the mat, he's not going to hem and haw and make it seem like it might be something. He's going to be like, you're eliminated because we know they're going to be eliminated. And the show made that point. But um, 
I think most of the weirdness just comes to do with them not having a ton of time at the end and it not being close. They couldn't really sell the fact especially because those two teams showed up at the same time, fourth and fifth, there was no way you could fake it out and make it seem like there was something happening. Yeah. I mean, it did seem a bit abrupt and, you know, I think it's just because the amazing race really likes to make a moment out of the elimination. You know, Phil usually likes to provide his preamble of, you know, as we're rising to the unknown, racing with the roaming gnome, it's maybe Phil wrote the poem. Maybe that's what it is, uh, which is why like he freestyle wrapped it, which is why it sounds oh so weird. Uh, but I think that just because they, there really is likes to be a build up to it. But to your point, it's been so unconventional where Phil flat up told us and the racers, OK, from here on out, there's no non-elimination legs that you almost don't need that anymore. You're, you're cutting to the bone with each and every, you know, step on that mat when you're last place. So I could see from a logistics perspective why they cut to the point. It's still so unconventional from an amazing race perspective that I think it threw people off a bit. Yeah, there was no like um, Leo and Jamal and Chris and Brad or anyone going like, I think I see it. I think I see the boat or whatever, which I think we've kind of gotten trained in most cases for there to be something, some sort of drama, even if we're sitting there going. Yeah, this is fake. This isn't really real. It still happens. And there was none of that this week. Yeah. Or even something like, you know, Colin and Christy and Leo and Jamal coming in and and Phil being like, Leo and Jamal, you know, you put in a lot of work today. And I'm sad to say that you're probably going to get more wet because you're continuing with the amazing race. You know, like those types of of big lead ups and let downs. He just really cut to the chase here, which maybe we'll see more of that next leg, depending on what's to come. Speaking of what's to come, I, I want to finish off the the question part with a question from Soy Gonzalo looking ahead, Could basically asking, can we do power rankings of the top five? And I know we're looking down the nose of the finale, which will have our top four by the end of next week. But right now, Dan, you said it was a, it was a strong top five overall. Can you power rank the top five right now from their performances so far? Sure. I've got my power rankings down. Do you just want me to read mine and then oh, you yeah, can yeah. Please give do. your adjustment? Okay. Here are my top five. I'm going to go backwards. Number five, Afghanimals. For the reasons I mentioned, I just feel like there's more chances they could screw up. And both times they've gone out in the past, it's been kind of like just uh, they fall apart basically in fourth. But I think they're most likely, though I could totally see them going further. Four was tough, but I'm going to say Nicole and Victor. Mm. A lot of that has to do with their experience. Even though they finished second this week, I feel like the top three are just so strong and have so much experience that Nicole and Victor are a strong four. But to me, they still, just in terms of strength and what they've done overall, they've been awesome. But it's more of a fact that the top three, I feel like, are so strong. Yeah. And I would also say that they're probably because I would put them. I agree with those number five and number four. I'll just, again, like copyright off of you. I'm sitting at the podium next to you here (laughs) Um, because I think Nicole and Victor outside of the Afghanimals might be, especially compared to those other three teams, the least consistent. And in the amazing race, being consistent is like the number one asset to have where when you're running from leg to leg, country to country, where everything is just wildly a variable. If you have a constant going on, that's going to be so well for you in your winning formula. Nicole and Victor, you know, they have, uh, I think, four second place finishes, but they also, you know, got last in a non-elimination leg and they finish in the back of the pack a couple times. So I still put them in fourth, though. I could very easily see them make the top three. 
Me too. I think I think they have a good chance. And um, number three for me is Team Fond, mm-hmm. which is interesting to say because I feel like they've had a really strong race and they haven't really been in danger too much. I know there was the U-turn leg where they were, you know, they were close, but. You know, you had Rupert and Laura, so they weren't that close, but um, Rupert with the elephant. But I feel like, again, I think there's a really good chance they're going to be in the finals. I think they've done very well, but the top teams are so strong. Yeah. I just don't see it. Again, um, I, will, I will agree with that. I think they've had an extremely solid showing. But the fact of the matter is, again, the other two teams are just so, for lack of a better term, legendary. I think when it comes to their racing prowess that it's tough for team fun to live up to it. Now, that being said, the final leg has proven many, many times, especially in recent seasons, how the most dominant teams do not win the final leg. You know, I think uh, your, your GPA did not necessarily matter for the final exam in a matter of speaking. So I could totally see a situation where other couple of other teams biff it in the finale once more and team funds able to cruise through and take it, but they're up against some formidable competition. If they make it with the other top two teams. Yeah, and the big X factor is the U-turn next week, which this is our power rankings, but in a sense, being at the top of the rankings might be dangerous for teams like we talked about. So number two for me is Colin and Christie, but it's a super strong number two. This is a team that has been better than I even expected they could be. I'm still kicking myself for not drafting them as the old school Amazing Race person. I don't know what I was thinking a long time ago when we did that. Um, 2018 Dan was a very yes. different Dan. I still have like, like, what was I doing? Why did I draft Arden JJ? Oh my gosh. But, um, Colin and Christie are super strong. The only diff, the only reason they're not number one, they battled through a U-turn. They battled through everyone knowing they're strong. They seem to also be building really good relationships based on what Chris and Brett said. I think in most seasons they'd be the top dog, but maybe, it's not such a bad thing when you have a U-turn coming, but, and of course, number one, Tyler and Corey, I mean, what else can you say? They're winning legs like crazy and they're getting stronger as the race goes on. Yeah. Considering that Colin and Christy were my winner pick from the get go, I would want to put them number one, but I mean, when your other team is now a franchise record setter, like how can you not make them first place? And you could say, you know, maybe their first places were under different types of circumstances, but the fact that they've been able to be that consistent against such strong competition across so many different settings, across things like a U-turn vote that they were able to avoid and all these other situations going on just speaks to how dominant they are. That being said, looking at these group of people, it would be super interesting to see any of them win. Like we talked about, I feel like they all have a narrative that could get them to the finale, at least if not winning outright. So we shall see. Uh, before we move on to finish things off, of course, we have to take a dip here into the Know It alternate universe. Take it away, Wolf <laughs> from America. We're in the Know It alternate universe. Now, this is a fun situation because uh, this is one of the first times where Rob himself has not been on. To provide feedback to it. So, Dan, you and I are just guessing blindly without any immediate reception from the person we're talking about. Yeah, it's fun. I feel like we we can just make them do whatever whatever we think. It's great. Yeah. Um, so we do. You want to jump to the detour? I think that's really the first big decision here. Yeah, I guess the other thing I guess I'll, I'll bring up as a small thing is, I mean, how do you think Rob and Steven would handle the line cutting thing. Would they be in a team fun scenario and just try to sneak ahead at all costs? Or do you think they would try to respect the sanctity of the line and stand behind Victor and Nicole, like Nicole wanted them to? 
I don't know. I think, you know, I think they're both competitive, but I feel like they're not as brazen, at least based on their survivor games. Most recently, you know, obviously Steven. So I feel like they might be like, I don't know. Team fun is really has like, especially Becca has a real confidence to the way that she races. Like she, and I don't know if Steven and Rob would have that same approach. I think they might step back a bit, but they are kind of, you know, coming from Survivor, though, the strategy and all these kind of ways to get ahead, maybe they would. I don't know. I'm mm. kind of self-doubting what I'm saying here. Yeah, I mean, I think they would, but they might have a different approach. Like, I don't think they would be dancing afterwards like Team Fun, <laughs> but it might just be a thing where they're like, like, uh, I don't think they'll let Victor and Nicole go in front of them, but they'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize. Like, uh, I'll, 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 I'll get you next time, next airport. I'll totally take care of it. And then just sort of like sheepishly move forward but i do agree i think that they're you know they're competitors no matter what you say i think that no matter what they're going to try to to get ahead and they would they would also probably do the team fun thing of thinking like okay there's not one line going on We, we, we can go stand and be on our own yeah, I think you're right. The more I think about it, I think, you know, they're not going to they're going to do whatever they can to get on a better flight, you know, knowing how things work. So so the detour, I think Stephen Fishback is going to just look at the word poetry and say, we're going. Yeah, and man, I could think of nothing more fun than watching these two get flung around the Adriatic Sea and then have to go recite a poem. Stephen would be very shook in more ways than one. <laughs> this is what that's one of my favorite things because I just yeah I'm picturing the two of them being like oh yeah memorization we're smart I can see Stephen especially like yeah I I'm well educated I can memorize this and then yeah I don't know I think they would stick to it I think if they switched and went to the snorkeling and did that for a bit they'd both be like no no I don't think so they'd be kind of like Tyler and Corey in that way in a bit so I think they'd end up doing the poetry but they might be in for a reawakening at first yeah I think that they'd very much say you know what the hell is this is Steven still say this is not the poetry readings that I'm used to but at the same time they might have the mentality of what Tyler and Corey did if we can do this we just need to keep trying at it but I mean Rob's done ad reads under more suspect circumstances. So I feel like he could maintain, you know, being cool under pressure. Yeah. I mean, he's out there doing the red carpet on survivor finales. I mean, hanging out, having some kind of angry guests. So I think, I think he could take the pressure this time. I don't think they would do too badly. I don't think they'd be like the, they might not have Colin levels of cool, but I also don't think they'd be in the Leo and Jamal situation. Well, nobody can be cooling, Dan. That's a whole new level of cool. <laughs> yeah. Double O. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the double O is for cool. <laughs> that's good. That's better than I was thinking of. All right. So, um, so then they move past that. And of course they get to the roadblock, which if I look back, it's, um, it's the, uh, yeah, the, the soldier memorization. I wonder yeah. If Steven would be so jostled that he'd make Rob do it. I, I really wonder out of these two, who would be the one to say, oh, yeah, I can, you know, track things a bit more. Who do you think is more uh, spatial, Dan, between the two of them? Well, the, you know, the clue, of course, would say who is ready to get their marching orders. So if you show up and you get that clue, who would think? I think Steven would have Rob do it. Yeah. That's, that's that my Rob thought. Rob was a former junior firewood deputy bitch. I think he is ready to supplant himself, even though it turns out that he is sort <laughs> of the, the kingmaker in this regard. Yeah. I think, I think Steven would hear that and is like, 
Yeah, that doesn't doesn't sound like something I'd want to do. And he's still a little rattled from being thrown ten feet up in the air. So I think he'd be like, Rob, this is all you. Well, I think how, so. He's he's going to see something that says warrior, and he's going to be triggered and be like, nope. Uh, I don't want to deal with warriors anymore. Had a bad run in, you know, almost 10 years ago with that. I'm good to have you do it, Rob. <laughs> Dragon Slayer, what? Exactly. What's going well, on? You mentioned Marcus Aurelius before, and all I thought about was Coach misattributing a quote from him to the guy who invented Jerry Curl, and I just went down a rabbit hole with that. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I don't think this leg is perfect for them. But if they got on an okay flight, I think we'd see Rob and Steven further along. Last question. Who rose the boat? One of them, uh, either one, or do they both row the boat? Try to Tyler and Corey it. I think they both row it, but I think there'd be a lot of chicanery and bickering and such doing yeah. it. I don't I, see I either there's one. There's a lot the of them going around in circles, I think, and Phil just sort of haplessly <laughs> staring in the distance. They're like, guys, over here, Rob and Steven. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they might get passed by. Maybe Phil will finally got what he wanted with the Olympian, you know, rowboat race where one team's just yes. paddling around in a bunch of circles as if they were looking for coins. Yeah, Phil, this is just like the Olympics. It's like, well, is it? Is it, Phil? Not really. <laughs> no. All right. So that's going to we'll close up the portal so we know what alternate universe until next week where, Dan, we are going to the Netherlands. Uh, for the first time in, I think, uh, uh, since season 27, I think this is like the eighth time we're going to the Netherlands. Looks like we're doing some uh, some boat navigation. We're doing a switchback of a switchback with the pole vaulting over the ditches. I think we saw in season 12 and maybe season 21 as well. But as we mentioned, the U-turn. Uh, call it for me here, Dan. Who are the two teams getting U-turned here in this final U-turn of the season? Hmm. Well, we saw Nicole and Victor get mentioned in the preview. You know, I think Colin and Christy get U-turned again. Wow. I, I think teams are really, but I don't think they get eliminated. I think they get U-turned and then they U-turn somebody else. And who that is going to be, I'm going to call the FG animals. Okay. I think so. I'm going to give it, give me a uh, Nicole and Victor. I agree. I think that the Afghan animals will get to the U-turn first and exact revenge for that spare U-turn vote. But uh, I'm going to give it to team fun. I know that team fun survived the U-turn, but I feel like that is so long ago. And Colin and Christie's U-turn survivor was so fresh yeah. in everyone's mind that I could see totally see a scenario you're talking about where Nicole and Victor are like, we got to, you know, throw it behind. We got to throw it on whoever's behind us. And so they right. just look at team fun and, Hopefully, Team Fun can survive the second U-turn. You know, be another one aboard Mount Afghanimal of teams that can survive two U-turns in a season. But like you said, fewer and fewer teams, fewer little, you know, smaller and smaller wiggle room. It's it's going to be tough for any of these teams to survive a double U-turn next week at the Netherlands. Yeah, and I'm not super thrilled to see the double switchback because I feel like really there's nothing else they could do. I know that the the grandfather going in the water was yeah, kind of a classic the, moment. The one image I have that I remember <laughs> is and look, uh, no offense to him, I think it's the oldest person to make the the final three, so good on him. But poor Grandpa Don in his like <laughs> down to his underwear, throwing himself into those muddy ditches. It's an image I will never forget anytime soon. <laughs> And I think we'll probably see it next week is my feeling, because I don't remember the first switchback being particularly 
crazy. So, and they probably will act like that did not happen. So, um, so we'll see, but I'm excited to see where this goes. And it's been, this week was super fun. So we'll be back next week. Jess, Robin, myself, uh, as well as an exit interview with the fifth place team, because as Phil said, no non eliminations, but for the moment being, Dan, thank you so much for coming in and filling in for the two of them. When it came to covering this episode of the amazing race, you brought history, you brought references, you brought thoughts. It was truly a pleasure to get to hear your opinions on this season so far. I also know that you are teeing up personally to get back into the race with the amazing race Canada seven. Uh, why don't you give out your social media handle and talk a bit about what you, you and Jess are preparing for the season. Sure. Um, you can follow me at the Dan Heaton and the amazing race Canada is premiering July 2nd. They just have started announcing members of the cast. I think they've been doing the three at a time rollout. And also the cast includes one returning team, um, Jet and Dave. We actually spoke to Dave on the podcast to help with their fan voting is what happened. So that's fun. The first time we've had a returning team on Amazing Race Canada. And so Jess and I are going to be doing a preview likely the week before the premiere and then um, weekly recaps kind of like this where we're going to be talking about what happened on the show and it's going to be super fun. I, I can't wait. I love the amazing race, but the Canadian version has a special place in my heart and has been so much fun to cover. Yeah. You guys have a really interesting thing as well, where Jess in particular is going to transition off of amazing race us and the very next week, amazing race Canada starts. So she is just going to quickly like get off one plane and get on the other. And I'm really excited to listen to the two of you cover it. Amazing race Canada is always a really fun summer treat and i'm very intrigued to see where it goes from here and of course that's always all going to be accessible in our reality tv wrap ups feed and moving forward you can follow me at a mike bloom type as i mentioned before i also did an exit interview with brett and chris which was a lot of fun if you if you want to check out a lot of the dynamic of team bromance uh there's a lot of back and forth going on that i think translates well to the page so be sure to check all that out. If your note, if the notepad phone story was enough of a hook, I think I've got a good story for you. Should be sure to check that out on Parade. I'm also covering Survivor South Africa with Shannon Gates. Dan, I know you've become a recent convert in the Church of Survivor SA. Have you been enjoying this season so far? Oh, yeah, it's been great. I've been kind of dually catching up on season six, which is incredible, and watching season seven. So I'm getting a little confused about which has which players. But this season's been so much fun. If you're a fan of Survivor on the U.S. side, um, you should check it out. And of course, check out your guys' great podcast, too. Yeah, this week we have the Purple Pants badass himself, Bryce Isaiah, will be making his way onto International Survivor to talk about this episode, which is a true wild card. I'm very excited to hear what Bryce has to say about literally anything on the planet, including Survivor Essay. So there's going to be a lot of fun stuff there. Also, make sure you're subscribed to Rob as a podcast in general. There's been some Survivor stuff. Rob has put out a couple of deep dives with Reem and Aurora from this past season of Survivor. He recently put out a podcast with Peridium, one of my favorite Survivor content creators out there who makes YouTube survivor video essays about the stuff he's been working on and big brother cast reveal is coming monday and i'm sure rob and the lfc will have plenty to prepare as we off board amazing race and on board big brother 21 but that's gonna do it for this week thank you all so much for listening thanks to scott san pierre for editing this behind the scenes taron armstrong for his great exit interview with brett and chris dan heaton as a great guest 
Thank you all again for listening. We'll be back next week to go to the Netherlands with the final five of Amazing Race. For now, take care. Bye-bye. Amen. Amen.